Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to December of 1996 for volume 6 of this month's show. You've heard it all by now, but in order, WCW, WWF, ECW, USC, and the year review in volume number 5, and this is number 6. We're taking the all-important end-of-year awards. I've been joined firstly by Del Muir. Del, good afternoon. Hiya, Bob. And Rory McNamara. Good day to you all, gents. Three man boo for the uh, for the older awards this time around, but the usual kind of form. We've added one new category compared to last year. We'll we'll come to that one as we get to it. But otherwise, your usual fare. I'll introduce a category. We'll go around the go around the room and we'll ask people to nominate their categories, uh, their nominations. We'll discuss them for the bit and then we'll vote. Um, and as always tends to happen with this this show, as we get further down the thing, we'll end up repeating ourselves a lot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, let's jump straight in. Dell, your nominations for feud of the year. Um, feud it's kind of a bit hard really to look by ECW I think for it Bob um, the one that jumps out straight away is Shane Douglas and the Pitbull um, there's very few very few things at all in wrestling really that can come across as real these days I know we're starting to blur the just, just nominations at this stage Del we'll, we'll come to the uh, explanations in a bit Any no, fair that... enough. I'm just going to go with Shane Douglas and Pitbull and I think that'll be me, actually. I'm putting that straight in as my number one. Right. Right, I've got two, kind of three. I've undertaken Mankind straight in my number one. And despite them not even having a match, I've got Sabu Taz at number two. And this one was in hope rather than expectation, really. I've actually, even though it hasn't really kicked off, so I might get to later, uh, NWO possibly be WCW as my number three nomination. Interesting. Um... Yeah, I've got I've got all those th- all those three Douglas and Pitbull's uh, Undertaker of Mankind, and I've just got NWO versus the World as uh, my uh, my other nomination. Um, Del, start with Douglas and Pitbull's. It's just real, Bob. Um, there's as starting to say, there's kind of the bloodlines are coming in a wee bit these days, but the the realness of these two going at it, and Shane Douglas, you kind of worried about him coming back for back for WWF and then how was his 96 going to be and he's just fell right back into where he was and I don't mean that in a bad way by any stretch of the imagination he can talk he can match it up in the ring um, admittedly it's been a bit hard considering the circumstances of the feud but I just think he's been brilliant um, the pit bulls when they've been a bit for the last couple of years bearing in mind that they up until now, they'd never really been acknowledged as having anything more to aim than one and two. It's easy to see why they couldn't get in there. A feud that did feel as real as this. The other one that I was considering was the the NWO kind of stuff. But for a feud, for me, you've got to have two kind of reasonably evenly matched parties, and they just don't. With the NWO, thankfully, that's starting to turn a bit of a corner. But for a for a feud for two two guys that you actually believe in the both of them and you want to see one succeed, I don't think you can look past the franchise and Pat Bulls. Yeah, I mean, you go back to that angle, September, October, whenever it was, I mean, that'll, um, that's going to crop up with me later on in this show. Um, but in terms of, you know, I mean, you don't get people vaulting, well, I know we actually got one at, at Starcade, but you don't get people vaulting the, the guardrail anymore in wrestling. It just doesn't mm-hmm. happen. Industry's changed, the the viewing audience has changed, people are smartened up, they're more aware, they, they know what's going on. And yet an ECW, in theory, a, a, an educated and smart enough audience, they did an angle so good that 
people just lost their shit. Um, and that was really, really good. It's felt very, very believable. Um, and both guys are more over as a result. And Douglas, in a, in a company or in a promotion where heels don't really exist to one degree or another, Douglas is one of the most hated guys around right now. Um, and that feud has been consistently excellent from a storyline standpoint. The match quality has been a bit varied, but you know, you're going to get that with ECW, et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, well, I'm good. Roy, um, sticking with ECW, let's talk about Sabu and Taz. Yep. I've thrown that one in there despite them famously not having had a match yet, but they've actually managed to keep this cooking from January through December, uh, just by the virtue of promos, the virtue of, uh, uh, Heyman vignettes by, uh, Joey constantly talking up on commentary and they've done what every good feud should make you want and that's to see the next match between them which in this case it would be the first match between them uh, I'll, I might well get to this a bit later on but that electrifying moment a few weeks ago in the middle of November when it looked like they were going to lock up oh baby the crowd were ready for that and so I'll come back to that a bit later on and I get the impression that these two people now really just want to fight each other and that is most literal application of the word feud that you can ever see. I'm amped for the match. They've done a fantastic job. Uh, I just hope that we get to see it sooner rather than later, but it's been cooking right the way through the year. It's been wonderful. I don't know that it has. I, I mean, it's, it's been... They've it's, done always a di- there. it's there as a perma-presence all the time, almost through every ECW show, even when yeah, but, they're not but, involved. But if you want to, you could start driving NWO-sized holes through the, the, the buses, through the holes in the storyline. I mean, the fact that Taz has been there every show calling out Sabu, Sabu's been in the building and not been responding, it's not the greatest thing in the world. I'm not saying it's not going to be great in 1997, but that's when the feud's actually going to take place. I think at the moment they've... You know, I don't think we can, I don't think we can give Feud of the Year to something that's basically been dragged out yeah, for, for the sake of it. Um, and, and that kind of thing. But I think they've done quite well. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the thing that backs up your point is that they, they, they basically stretched it out for six or seven months and didn't do anything with it. Um, and then they did the whole angle and the stuff on television. It's like, yeah, the crowd are still ready for it and we're still ready for it. So from that sense, job well done. But I don't think it's Feud of the Year this year. I don't think it's been, I don't think it deserves that much credit for, just about keeping it ticking along to the point where it didn't burn people out or frustrate people. Dell, anything on that? I know you've seen bits of ECW this year. The the biggest kind of takeaway from a negative point of view, I think, for me on the on the feud with with Sabu and Taz is really when Sabu wasn't there, that kind of got a bit of it taken away. For me, it was good to have Taz out there. Uh, what Taz is kind of went on to become especially in light of this feud is something pretty special where a certain whistly third party but that kind of that kind of month or two when Sabu wasn't there and it's why especially when Sabu was there in the building why is he not coming out to get Taz and obviously fear but if you just want to leave it to you hopefully Touchwood get a pay-per-view but that kind of took away a bit for me uh, where should we go next Rory Undertaker on Mankind Oh yes, I talked about this a lot in the uh, in the review of the year show. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but just to say uh, this has been utterly compelling. It was my number one pick for a reason. Uh, it's been a feud based on, in in very literal metaphorical sense, a lot of psychology. And when was the last time you can say that about an Undertaker feud? Where it's generally just either oh you're going to be in there who's really big, or you're going to be in there with somebody who wants to steal the urn. Why should I care? Mankind has the character of mankind has got into the Undertaker's head. 
and they've managed to get eight months worth of uh, action out of this. As I said, to use the phrase I used again, Mankind wasn't just the monster of the week for Undertaker to knock about with for a couple of months after WrestleMania. They've managed to keep it going. They've had better and better matches all the way through. They've given us some gimmick matches, which they haven't always worked. I think the Boiler Room Ball was a great idea, but a poor execution. But it's something very, very different. Uh, the cr- crowds, the crowds are absolutely with them. Uh, I, and I, like I said there, I still think that there's a bit of juice left in it if they want to go there. And it's brought the best out of Mark Calloway, and I'm pleased to see that because he's existed on character and name value and entrance alone for pretty much the last four years. And uh, I've loved every minute of it, even if even if the match quality has been variable, but I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, um, yeah, we've watched The Undertaker struggle for quite a while with a, a myriad of bad opponents. Um, and they've got someone in, in, in Mick Foley under this new gimmick. And he's seems to have brought the best out of himself and the best out of The Undertaker. Um, and the match quality's been good. The, you know, the, the, the feud has been a standout feud in a year where almost nothing has happened. Certainly the first. Yeah, certainly that middle two thirds. This was the only thing that made Raw remotely watchable was these two. Um, and the programs production, the match quality's been good. It's not been great. I mean, you can, you can give too much credit given that, you know, you kind of forget that, that there was the one Mankind match in the middle was Mankind and Shawn Michaels, which was easily his best match of the year and possibly Sean's, possibly not. Um, the match quality's been mixed, but I, I think it's more a case of this ain't over yet, but it's been consistently good for eight months. Um, and I don't know where the Undertaker character would have been without it. Um, and Dale, we, we, we finished this. I know you only nominated one, but, but let's talk about the NWO. Um, cause I think they do deserve a nomination in here. Oh yeah. Um, but is there, you know, I see, I feel like I'll just spend every month picking it apart so much. I don't know whether there's, enough for that given that there hasn't really been a feud yet and that's kind of been my problem aye um i mean every every month pretty much since kind of july there's as much as there's been positives there has been negatives to back them up but i, I wouldn't go as far as saying they certainly deserve a nomination but they do certainly deserve a mention um as a as a feud it's got the makings of everything there. You've got the name value. You've got the story behind it. You've got what should be active investment for a, for a crowd, for an audience, whether it's at TV, whether it's at home. It's It's got things there. There is, I think 97 will be a big year, but whether it's going to pay off at this NWO pay-per-view, where does it go from there? Can it run? as much into next year as it did this year. I mean, that's a good five, six months we've been seeing it this year and it's never really came to anything. Is it just going to be that there's going to be a big build or is it going to be that it's just going to peter out? I think we'll possibly be talking more about that, I would think, next year. But it certainly has got the makings of a perfect feud. Roy? Yeah, just one, I think Dale's absolutely nailed it. There's one thing I want to add. Uh, almost the default reason I put it is there is no greater opportunity for a feud than an organisation sprouting out of another one to try to take it over. But as I say, it's almost there by default because I don't think that the real battle element has really got started yet. And it's, I say, I don't want to uh, overshot what, what I'm going to say in one of the other sections a bit later on, but it's been, as feuds go, it's been very, very one-sided. It's dominated the entire wrestling landscape for the last six months. So it had to be here because it had to be here, but I hope it doesn't win. <laughs> Yeah, um, 
you know, in, in some ways it is the best feud of the year, but in other ways it's not even really a feud at all. And that's kind of been my main problem with it. A feud is a rivalry. This hasn't been a rivalry. This has exactly. just been a group eating, eating WCW from within itself. Um, you know, in, in some cases you kind of disqualify it more than you nominate it. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 Probably almost exclusively produced the most compelling television of the year across any of the three promotions. We'll say that and we'll say that later on. Um, but as we kind of saw last month, it hasn't been a feud. NWO, I put in my nomination, I wrote NWO versus the world, not NWO versus WCW <laughs> because WCW haven't been part of this feud yet. Now that's the challenge for next year and we could easily be talking about that, that being the feud of the year for 1997 if they get it right. Um, but they've been very slow to mobilise it so far. Um, Dale, your nomination for Feud of the Year, or your vote? I'm still going to go with Douglas and the Pet Bulls. Rory? Undertaker Mankind, easily. Yeah, I'll make it Undertaker and Mankind as well. Uh, the, the most consistent feud across the year. Um, I think probably just about the best one, but yeah, I, I would, I would say Douglas and the Pitbulls in an honourable second, and we we might uh we might revisit that later on. Uh, next up, tag team of the year, Rory, your nominations. Oh dear, Bob, what are you doing to me? Right, because it's been a great year for tag team wrestling, of course, in various organisations. I I'll be honest with you, I really really struggle with this one, but I got it down to three, uh, purely based on their work rate. I got Furness and Lafon in there. Uh, another default one, I've got Owen Bulldog in there, but that's almost by name value alone. And a bit of a surprise one at number three, perhaps. I've got the Eliminators in there. Del? Um, in a year that's not been stellar for tag team wrestling, I'm actually going to go with another two altogether. Um, Mind of the Gangsters and the Outsiders. Okay, this is going to be a long one here. I mean, as, as ever, the, uh, the end of your award show is basically me just scribbling things down for about five minutes. Uh, my nominations, I have the Eliminators, I have the Gangsters, and I also, somewhat surprised, neither of you picked up on this, uh, Rob Van Dam and Sabu. Uh, where to begin with list? Well, let's start with... Um, Dale, you nominate the Outsiders. Let's start there. Yep. Uh, from an in-ring standpoint, you're certainly not going to get Hall and Nash winning many awards, I would have thought. But for what they mean and what they've done, I think they deserve a mention here. Um as TV entertainment goes, I reckon they're probably the best from an entertainment standpoint, whether it's kind of in-ring interviews, whether it's getting the cans for half an hour on Nitro. Um, I just think they've been very entertaining throughout the year, as I say, more so for what they've meant, what they've done, what they've started with NWO. Um, for about November, December, we've almost seen a an offshoot of the offshoot with the, the NWO, where it seems to have split into a couple of different camps. Um, the outsiders, I do hope, remain together. Whether that's kind of if we're going to have a Hogan bit, if we're going to have an outsiders bit, hopefully the two of them stay together. But as I say, ring wise, there's probably another five, six, seven that would beat them. But from what they mean, I think they deserve a nomination. Rory, Owen and Bulldog. Yeah, I had a feeling you might have pulled me up on that one, Robert. We've had this discussion before, have we not? Um, as I say, I, I really, really struggle with this category. Again, that might become a theme as we go through the day. But uh, I put Owen and Bulldog in there because I love the both of them, quite frankly. That's why I very nearly put um, uh, RVD and Sabu in there, a team who's been pretty much thrown together. But um, uh, they put in some great performances themselves, even though they've been put in there with rather ropey, um, uh, ropey opponents and the matches haven't necessarily been great. But uh, 
they're in there because I like the two of them. Yes, I know. But it's not exactly the most uh, scientific reason. But I, I felt they deserved something, quite frankly, because um, WWF Tag Team Wrestling just killed me for the first eight months of the year. And they are not the smoking guns. and They're not the Godwins. And they're not the body donners. Yes, that's where we are. <laughs> Damning with faint praise. Bloody hell. Um... <laughs> that's, that's fair comment. Roy, I'll stick with you on Furnace and Lafon slash Furnace and Crawford. Uh, and this goes back to what I was saying just now. Uh, do we actually have a proper actual tag team in the WWF who can really, really work? I think we might have, you know. So I've only really been see- seeing them for about the last four or five months, but every time they've been in there, they have just absolutely torn it up. Uh, their recent, uh, I thought the showing at Survivor Series was absolutely fantastic. I think even in the jobber match they've been in with, they've been able to bust out some fantastic stuff. They can really show what they can do. Uh, I'm really not sure what they're capable of on the, on the microphone, and in WWF land that might stilt them a bit. But their in-ring work is uh, is absolutely stellar, and they do stick out like a sore thumb in where they are now. But uh, what a great sore thumb it is! I, I, I love watching them. Yeah, um, they, they are just both that damn good. Um, you know, I think it's probably more, you have to include that ECW run, and in many yes. ways, to an extent, you know they. They only really featured in three matches of any note in North America this year, certainly that we covered. Um, but they do just look that damn good. And there's no question about it. They went in completely cold at Survivor Series and managed to turn the crowd in their favour. Um, but we do creep towards ECW. Um, Dale, I'll bring you in. Let's start with the gangsters. Um, yes. It's a better double-edged sword with old uh, New Jack involved, but I think they, I think they're the most cohesive unit that I've seen this year. Um, Match-wise, they're not exactly going to be winning any awards for the for the losers fans and the the Gotch and Hackenschmidt fans that we have, but I just think they're different. And 1996 has been a a big year for anything that's different stands out because we've seen in the last couple of years there's not really been that much to make you pay attention. I think the gangsters do that, whether it's kind of seeing, seeing videos for the hood, whether it's just them coming out, if it's just New Jack coming out and cutting just mental promos and just bleeding, literally bleeding passion. Um, there's something different about them. I mean, the the thing that kind of started it off with the gangsters was the public enemy. They lost the public enemy, and it's like, where did the gangsters go? But then it, it's been just another resurgence in ECW with tag teams that will come on. We're talking about the Eliminators as well. It's they, they just seem to pull these guys for for seemingly nowhere. I mean, I know Mustafa and New Jack were hanging about the Smoky Mountain, got dressed it for a while, but I never expected this, especially when I. I Absolutely loved what the public enemy represented in ECW. I never thought that would be replicated, but they've took that and they've ran with it, and they're even better, in my opinion. Yeah, um, them and the Eliminators almost crept into my Feud of the Year award. It didn't in the end, just because I, I wanted to squeeze the NWO in there. But um, the one thing I think you can say is that the gangsters are, you know, for better or for worse, regularly compelling watching. Like there's very rarely do you see gangsters on the bill and think ah you know it's gonna be dull. Um, it's not always good. Sometimes it's bad, but it's rarely dull. Um, a new Jack is a riot on promos. He's a riot in the ring when he wants to be doing some crazy stuff. I think he's um, just a riot in life, Bob. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the one thing you can say about New Jack, I don't get the feeling much of that's put on. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, they've been really, really good. I'll come now, we'll, we'll come full circle and say, but I'll come now to Van Damme and Sabu. Um, I don't know, I mean, you know, they're really, really, you know, they're getting nominated for the same reason that Furnace and Lafon were, um, in that just those pair of barn burning tag matches in September and October, um, and Sabo, Sabu and Van Damme are just compelling and just batshit crazy in the ring. And it's like, you know, this isn't perfect by any stretch. I could rip this kind of style apart, but it's so damn good to watch. I'm almost not sure I care. Um, but Rory, we'll finish on the, the tag team that we all nominated. Um, the Eliminators, I mean, uh, this, this is an imperfect time for tag teams, but these two do seem to have it all. They do. They really do stand out in these uh, trying times for tag teams because even before you see them wrestle, you just see see the two of them there together. They just look like a tag team. They really do. They look like the people who mean business and they get in there and they do business. And their in-ring performances, which is what I've tried to base this on this particular category on, have just been uh, have just been truly stellar. Uh, Cronus in particular has been fantastic every time I've seen him. Uh, Sutton brings the technical stuff, but Cronus can absolutely go as well. They're just a tag team who look like they could really beat you up, beat you up in a very creative way. And uh, the times I've seen ECW and they've been in there, they have just brought it. So again, it's the in-ring work which has got them on this list and fully deservedly. Del? Can't really argue with Rory on that one. The... They're kind of similar almost to the gangsters in that respect where we spoke about it might even have been at last year's review show where it's like they've got the the one that can go out and talk and just threaten the life out of you and probably scare you to death and then you've got the big one that just hangs about in the background and again similar to the gangsters this year they've just took it up another level and it's like in a, in a division that is pretty lacking in the mid 90s that take you back to Almost like a, almost like the Steiners or the Road Warriors. It's just two guys in there that could just kick the shit out of you, but do it in a way that you want to see them kick the shit out of you someday as long as it's not you. Dell, your nomination for Tag Team of the Year, or your vote, I keep getting that wrong, three years in, I'm keep doing <laughs> your, your vote My for vote Tag Team of the Year. Is for the Gangsters. Rory. Eliminators. Signing with Rory again. Uh, yeah, Eliminate is just about, um, it's not been a great year, but I think they've been consistently the best team. Gangsters can feel a bit unlucky given that, you know, in many ways they've, they, they've helped bring the best out of the Eliminators, but as a, as an in-ring duo, um, these two are the best all-round tag team package, um, in wrestling right now for me. Somewhat surprised they've not been called up by one of the big two, but we, uh, we might see that develop next year. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Moving on to the non-wrestler of the year. Rory, your nominations. Okay. Um, I've got Bill Alfonso. Well, obviously. And uh, my two other ones might spark a bit of interest. I've got Colonel Parker, obviously. And uh, I've got Jim Ross in there as well. <laughs> you with me? Bill. Oh, shit, Jim Ross. My friend Jim Ross was good. Um... Bill Alfonso and Bill Alfonso's whistle. <laughs> Bill Alfonso's whistle is a separate nomination. <laughs> it is in there entirely on merit. Right. Okay, I'll, put, I'll put whistle in brackets. I'll do that. Uh, I have also nominated Bill Alfonso. 
Um, I'm somewhat surprised neither of these two came up. Uh, I've nominated Nick Patrick, and I've also nominated Eric Bischoff. Last-minute right. entry, Nick Patrick. I entirely thank you for that, Bob. Okay. Okay, we'll put that in there. We'll go to that. Um, Rory, Colonel Parker. Yes, because I love him and he makes me laugh. Come on, what's wrong with that? He ain't going to win. I knew he wasn't going to win, but he's just... Is it no Legionnaire? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is now. He just makes me smile. I've said, I've said before on these, on these pods, I'm just the total mark for the guy. He's not going to win this category. He wouldn't want to win this category, but come on. He's just entertaining in that, uh, Southern gentleman who's not a gentleman role. So come on. Let's get, let's give him a, let's give him a bit of a rub. Because Sher- 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 give- Sherry's not giving him a rub anymore, so let's do it. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to give him a rub by crossing him. <laughs> so that, that, that'll do that. I love um, it. Let's talk about Jim Ross, Roy. Jim Ross, yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, he has. I'm not talking about he or Jim Ross. Here. I think he played a very good, a very good job to give that ridiculous, ridiculous role he was given. He did his best with it. But Jim Ross in there for being just the, the greatest commentator around. It really is that simple. He can elevate. He, is the old, the old saying? He can make a bad match good and a good match great. Uh, so he's got his work. <laughs> the second match bad. A good match bad. No, <laughs> um, I can think of other, other commentators who speak instantly to mind who can, who can help with that. But he's just terrific. He really is. He knows what he's calling. He knows what he's talking about. And I get the sense he just really does love being there. He's just a bloke who loves talking about wrestling for four hours and hours every week. Uh, unlike the ham who sits next to him who doesn't really seem to know what's going on, even though he actually owns the damn company. Uh, just, you could almost, you could almost close your eyes. You could listen to a Jim Ross piece of commentary and, uh, you'd feel like you were there. So, well, I don't think he's going to win this. He fully deserves to be there because he's worked so hard under duress with the rest of the stiffs who are there with the commentary table with him. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, funnily enough, I, I think I'd nominate him more for, for his heel work than he did. Um, he did a good job pro- with it. He really did, I must say. He did a good yeah. job with it. Um, you know, that, was, that wasn't even chicken shit. That was lower than that. Um, and he, he, he works just... Um, it just that promo was really quite good. That promo where he did the big unveiling. Yes, it was. It all went, all went south pretty soon after that. Um, but yeah, commentary. If, if we do a commentary of the year, he'd win it. Um, I don't think that's a that's a stretch. But we, this category is a bit more broad. Um, let me talk about Eric Bischoff. Speaking of commentators and announcers, um, you know I've got enough problems with him turning heel, and it's not just based on the last six weeks. Although it certainly helped him get into this category. Um, you know, there, there can be no doubt that the effectiveness of the early days of the NWO angle, particularly the bit that happened prior to the formation of the group, prior to Hogan joining and, and completing the set, um, as much as you're, we, and we are going to give a lot of credit to the other two guys, Bischoff's role in that should not be understated in the babyface announcer role and that, and that bump he took at the Great American Bash as well. Um, all of that for being, you know, for, for trying to coherently point people in the right direction when Nitro's concerned, because that doesn't always make sense. And then for the genesis of what seems like a quite a riotous heel character. I mean, the guy seems to have... I get the feeling he was playing it about three months before he turned it in his own mind, before he turned to become a heel. Um, but Bischoff in the last six, seven weeks has been really, really fun to watch as a heel. Um, and long may it continue. Um, where shall we go next? Um, Del, talk to me about Nick Patrick. I'd totally forgot about him to you, to you mentioned him, Bob. Um, it's not the first time this year that Nick Patrick is very often the most over 
heel on a WCW show. Um, you could argue it's been coming for a good few months before they really started ramping it up. This is one of the few consistent stories that we've had this year is the the turn of Patrick, but he's kind of took what is which should really be quite a blind role as a ref. I mean, you shouldn't notice a referee if they're doing their job right, but the fact that you don't kind of need that when that pass, it just shows what he actually does. And he's got that story over to an extent where even just the, the promos that he's been doing after the match where we mean Gene when it's you kind of start the story and then Patrick has just ran with everything that he's got, whether it's the... Whether it's the match with Jericho that he done incredibly well, we consider the circumstances. Whether it's the the clutching at the neck throughout the year, if it's the talking to Gina about how he's straight as a die and he's clearly not, and then just the way that they've built it into the story with NWO and how he's their officially licensed official, and I I just think he's done exceptionally well for somebody that's never. To my mind, I've had any notable TV time or interview time or anything. What he's done in the last kind of six, maybe even as long as eight months, has just been brilliant for me. Yeah, um, he's been a riot this last six months or so. Um, you know, in, in a role that that had no right to get as good as it did, and I don't even know when they started planning it whether they even envisioned for it to go as far as it did. Um, but Patrick kind of took this idea that they gave him this kind of slightly bent referee and just made it work the promos were really really good those promos he was cutting august september time were were, were some of the strongest on television in those weeks um and some of his acting and his facial expressions are unbelievably good for a guy that doesn't really have chops in that kind of regard you know it's 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 leading into, you know, entertaining heel territory, but so is the whole NWO act. Um, Patrick just gets a nomination just for being an absolute riot. Um, it, yeah, that, that match with Jericho couldn't have been any longer, but for what it was, it was really good. And there's other things. There's some of his, some of his bent refereeing is fantastic. Like, you know, him, him counting a two and then like pulling up from the three to clutch his neck. That neck so was well, in a bad way. So that was legit. That way it was. It was. We uh, we can't. Rory, anything on Mick Patrick, or do you want to move on to Bill Alfonso? Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go to Fonzie shop. I think I think you've covered Patrick there. Okay, but, uh, but Bill Alfonso, man, um, attempting to win the award for his second year in a row, he's defending this award, and okay. I think he's got a pretty good chance of doing so, wouldn't you say? Uh, the, my first ECW show I was on was on the December show last year, and I said that pairing up with Taz would be a, a pretty clever way of ensuring Taz gets heel heat. So that, that, that you could say is Bill Alfonso's number one role, and he has achieved that, and he has achieved that in space. He has also done pretty much everything else by making himself the most hated, and therefore in this category, the most loved person perhaps in the entire wrestling industry. Again, all you've got to do is just bloody look at him. He just looks like somebody who is easy to hate. And he takes that ball and he runs with it every single time. And even even if he didn't have the whistle, I think he would actually absolutely <laughs> walk this award. But here he just takes himself into a whole new stratosphere. I hate him and I love him, and that is everything he's made. He's doing everything he wants to happen, and it's just, I ha- it's horrible, but it's a joy. And just give, should, should we just give him the award now? <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll come to that <laughs> in a minute. I uh, tell. I I can't argue a word 
that Mr McNamara has said, I also challenge anybody. I don't think there's been anybody on that ECW show this year, whether it's me, whether it's Tom Martin, whether it's Kieran Mitchell, whether it's Rory, whether it's Lacey, whether it's you, Bob. The words that fucking whistle <laughs> must be said by everyone who appears in that. And it's it's testament to him, mate. I mean, you're looking for somebody to hate. He talks like a prick. He looks like a prick. He acts like a prick. He is a prick. And it's beautifully done. I, I don't think there's anybody that can challenge him. Um, Nick Patrick's done some brilliant stuff this year, but as you say, Fonzie's been doing it for two. And it, I, I just, the, the act to, the art of being a manager is to get folk to hate you and then that rubs off in the guy that you're managing. Taz, believe it or not, before Fonzie was over. And he's, he's a suplex, a suplex king, a suplex machine. He's just a tough motherfucker that makes you respect him. And there's no much that you can't respect about that. But you just stick him with Fonzie and it's just a total, a total another entity. And I, I just can't say enough good things about him. Or bad things as it would be. Yeah, um, you know, to, to say the act hasn't really gone anywhere, I'd be doing it a huge disservice because it, it, it's kind of very similar to the act that it was last year. I don't know that it's evolved a tremendous amount, but it says a lot how good he is at playing such a similar character that people have not got bored of it. It annoys them just as much as it did a year ago. It's just as infuriating. The whistle's been great. Um, his promos are really good. His his act with Taz is, is probably a bit smoother than it was a year ago. Um, but... You know, Taz is one of the the big up and coming stars in ECW, and I think without Alfonso, he'd be a babyface by now um, because he is such a good worker. Um, and yeah, uh, let's vote Del uh, for the second year running. The Bill Alfonso Award this year goes to Bill Alfonso. Right. Bill Alfonso and Bill Alfonso's whistle are going in. <laughs> Bill Alfonso, open brackets, whistle, close brackets. I did want to give the award to Nick Patrick, but I don't think I'm able to. So, yeah, we are we are in agreement on that one. Moving on. Uh, Rory, I think this is your specialist subject. Worst match of the year. <laughs> oh, good God almighty. Okay, yes, I've watched all sorts of bad wrestling for us so last year. You'll be, you'll be pleased to hear. Okay, this particular list, I've got it down, or up, if you like, to five. And uh, let's see what we've actually got here. I have got... Okay. Sandman Raven from uh, last month. I have got Hogan Savage from Halloween Havoc. These are in no particular order. I have got that cage match from Uncensored. I've got Gold Dust Warrior from uh, In Your House, uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies. And I've also got Jake Lawler from SummerSlam. Yes, I did not nominate Booty Man DDP. What the hell? Hang on. So Salman and Raven from November. Yep. Hogan and Savage from October. Yep. The cage was March. Goldust Warrior was April. And Robertson Lawler was August. SummerSlam, yeah. August, yeah. Right. Uh, Del. Getting straight in is Paige and Ed Leslie. How that was never mentioned there, I don't know. No. Um, DDP and was he Booty Man? Um, any other stuff? I'd also go with the the Gold Dust Warrior one that Rory had mentioned, and then I'd, I, it's been such a long six months with NWX. I think this was '95, and it wasn't it reading back and into us that that fucking Alcatraz fucking cage match 
Alcatraz? That fucking, it was a disaster. You know what I mean? That fucking cage. It was, what was it, four stories and three levels? How that works? That, that's in last. Alright, what have I got here? Well, I'll add in Hogan and Savage because that was bad. Uh, and then I've got DDP and Booty Man. Um, have I got five or I've only got four? Um, do, 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 do. Oh yeah, so well, well, I'm Sadman and Raven. I'll second nomination for that because that was bad as well. Um, and then two matches that neither you nominated. Um, one was the World War Three main event. Um, for all the reasons I went through last month, uh, so that's November. Um, the other one, I'm somewhat surprised we didn't nominate this. Uh, was the SummerSlam tag match, um, the the, the, the four way farce, and I, I have also nominated Page and Booty Man. Um, if I didn't mention that already, SummerSlam tag in uh, August. Sorry to write all these down. Where to begin with this? Um, Roberts and Laura, Rory. Yeah, as I said, so on the uh, 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 when I was talking about the August part of WWF, uh, this match just outright offended me uh, because the the build up for it was horrible. It was based on uh, real life events, like I said at the time. I don't care if Jake agreed to it or not, uh, and this was people paying whatever it was for a WWF pay per view is these days uh, to watch Jerry Lawler cavort around with uh, some whiskey bottles. Two people who should never even been anywhere near a ring at this particular point, Roberts especially, uh, just making fun of the guy's uh, very real alcohol problems. Plain horrible. Um, oh, oh, I, given that we're on the same show, I, that tag match was dreadful. Oh, that was a oh, that was bad. that was that was. <laughs> I mean, oh god, I mean that was so bad. Just the, the, the four way tag match, four teams that nobody cares about. Um, and it didn't even last that long. It was just so dire. Uh, we better rattle through this because we could be here all night otherwise. Uh, where to move, uh, next? Dell, Doomsday Cage. It, there were so many things. Um, the idea of the cage match to start with, I just don't understand why you need, why you need that kind of structure when you can literally do nothing with it. They were moving and it was breaking. They couldn't even walk on it, so why the fuck would they be able to wrestle on it? The people that were at why why is even Hulk Hogan's ego that big that they can't even lose a fucking a four on two? I mean, they need eight to beat them, and uh, uh, the, the fact that it never even really finished unless it was Macho trying to remember at the end or not, be better pin somebody to win this. What the plan was when they ran out of the cage, I don't know. The, the, I mean, what I remember, the weapons that were in that, I don't think the bad guys used a weapon in that match. It was Hogan and Savage that were using frying pans. It was Hogan and Savage that were using the powder. It was Hogan and Savage that were locking people in, in different compartments of the cell and then kind of beating up the, uh, oh, I don't know, it was terrible. And then if it wasn't the worst match of the year, the one regaining feature it was that the booty man wasn't involved in it, and then it, it comes at the end, and it's like, oh, that's just the, the icing on that cake, and the shittest no. cake in the world. I'm, I'm guessing the one regaining feature of all the other matches was that booty man didn't get involved, um, all bar one. Uh, Roy, do you say, Case? Uh, absolutely everything Dallas just said, uh, except, uh, well, just, just one more thing to add it. 
You're two on eight and you beat them. That's just ludicrous. I'm all the people who actually pin, you pin Flair. Yeah, good, good one, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. An absolute abomination. A stupid idea uh, carried out by, uh, in that particular case, when they were booking it, very stupid people. Just despicable. <laughs> I've got nothing else I to say. I didn't think it was... I didn't think it was that bad. Oh, come on. Like, I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't the worst match on the show. I mean, let's be, you know, it can't be worst match of the year if it was second worst match on the show. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, Rory, Sam and Raven for last month. I don't remember that, um, not too long ago. Yeah, that was a, a horrible, horrible mess. Uh, and you can't even use the ECW mess defense on it. It was an absolute cluster for 10 minutes. Uh, the, the characterization was all off. Uh, they, Two big moves had to be in there were completely and utterly messed up. I can still see them now and I still cringe. Uh, the ending was weak. The, the, neither guy particularly cared. Not that, not that these two are going to be five or five star classics tucked away in their boots to say the very least. And it's almost shooting fish in a barrel, putting Sandman in any worse match category. But because it was such an important match, nominally being for the ECW title, it really, really got under my skin and I, I absolutely hated it. Uh, Dell, Gold Dust and Warrior. Oh. It, it's two characters that you never thought would meet, and when they did, it was, there was nothing that could come out of it that was good. I don't think the, the Gold Dust character has got such, such a cutting edge at some points, and it's like what it could be. Warrior, we, we heard, I mean, it's been about two years really since Hogan came into WCW that we've been hearing about this ultimate surprise that God, God rest the renegade. But, I mean, it, I, I just don't, there wasn't anything in it that, that was good. I mean, the, the stalling and the outside, I mean, there was, Goldust, I think, it, he must have stayed out of there for at least five, six minutes. He was hardly in the ring. It ended in a count out. It didn't really do anything for anybody because there was a retention of the title. It, it, it was, there was nothing there. It was awful. Roy? Uh, everything Dallas said again. One more thing I want to add. Again, people bought the pay for you to watch Ultimate Warrior try on somebody's coat. <laughs> <laughs> hideous. Absolutely hideous. The, the one move in the entire seven minutes was a clothesline. Say no more. Yeah, um, I think the reason I didn't nominate it was I, I kind of said at the time like it, it almost wasn't, it was more an angle than a match. I know it was a match. I know it was a dreadful match, but you know there are other matches in this category that had you know ambitions of being good. This never did. I will at least say that. But you are right to call it out. It was dreadful. Uh, I'm going to talk about the World War Three main event very, very briefly um, because if you listened to the WCW show last month, you would have heard me talk about it at quite much length. Um, but yeah, for you know, for for a match that we tried last year and was dreadful, they brought it back. It didn't change anything about it. We had that horrible split screen, all of the just terrible storytelling from front to back, and the one guy won. Um, I could actually nominate. I could vote for that. I don't think I will. Uh, Rory, talk about Hogan and Savage. Yeah, this is uh, so, so about Hogan's in-ring. These are two people who really, really should know better. Uh, this match has been on the cards one or the other ever since Savage came into um, uh, Savage came into WCW, and certainly since uh, the NWO angle started. And it was as disappointing as baked beans for Christmas dinner, quite frankly. Uh, it wasn't a, it was the, a, the grudge match was right there. Just beat the hell out of each other for 20 minutes. Come on. But it was, vir- it was a virtual comedy match for the first 10 minutes and, uh, not a particularly funny one. 
And the last 10 minutes was just stall, stall, wait for interference, terrible move. It was a complete and utter waste of something that could have been uh, a great main event style main event. And it was a horrible, horrible, horrible waste. Yeah, um, it was just bad. I mean, it was, you know, for, for a match, you know, uh, uh, most of these other matches are just kind of mid-card matches. Most of them, there's a couple of other main events in there from WCW, but most of them didn't have any real ambitions of being these great iconic matches. Hogan and Savage for the first time was booked basically a year in advance. They had the, the show in January and they said, right, we're going to come back to Vegas in October and we're going to do Hogan and Savage for the first time. That's why the match never happened previously, and that's why the match happened there, even though it felt a little out of place, given everything else that was going on. A little, not too much. Um, but yeah, this was a, a just a really, really bad match, front to back. You can't really say anything else about it. Um, but um, And we finish on Delph, Page, and the Bootyman. Go it in a high. Um, I, it's never been kind of made any bones about us. I just don't like the Bootyman. Um, it could have been a good thing at this point because I mean how many times had we seen DDP and and Johnny be bad at this point and then when you get a sub in at least it's something different I always talk about that but this was just this was just bad man there was nothing going on the story with Booty Man to start with was terrible getting Kimberly involved again when she's there with Kind of going up against seemingly anybody that Paige is against. The match was as good as you would expect when, when Paige has done that well this year to try and improve and where he is, considering the age that he is as well. And I mean, God love Ed Leslie coming back after that full issue with the facial reconstruction and things. Fair enough. But this, this was just really bad. And it, considering that the other match for WCW that I've put forward for this was in the same show, Bit of a spoiler for worst show of the year possibly coming up, but it was just, it was just dreadful. And you couldn't watch it and be entertained in any way. I mean, maybe if you were like, I don't know, four or five year old and it's like one of the first wrestling events you'd seen, you might be entertained with the bright colours. Apart from that, there's nothing. Yeah, uh, it was just that bad. Like that, that rest hold in the middle that I, I, I think you know, I got the feeling that wrestle was longer than this show so far. Felt like it. Um, and yeah, just Booty Man is just negative equity when it comes to wrestling matches. He offers nothing. Um, and it's quite a testimony that DDP that was having really, really good matches up until this point has been having really, really good matches after this point. Went in and shit up the joint. Um, that's Booty Man's fault, I think. Uh, Roy, you're voting this category. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you've said on that. The only slight, slight uh, caveat I have to it is it wasn't massive amount riding on the match. That's why I didn't make my list, but god awful, it certainly was. So that's why I've actually gone for after all things gone for Hogan Savage because they really, really should know better. Del. Similar logic to Rory. While it was a worse match, the DP and Booty, it was never meant to be anything that never was anything. The main event was that Doomsday Cage match eight on two. More bells and whistles than a bells and whistles shop, and it done nothing for it. So it's got to be the doomsday cage. Uh, no, I'm with Rory. Um, that Hogan and Savage match had, you know, big things riding on it. And unlike the others, like the, the, the doomsday cage match was also ridiculous. I, I don't feel compelled to, to, to vote for it, even though it was in many ways horrendous. 
Um, Hogan and Savage should have been a good match. Should have been a very good match. We saw with Hogan and Piper, the match doesn't have to be that good. If the story's good enough and the action's passable, it's fine. Um, this was a sloppy ass match. Forget the bad storytelling. This was just really, really sloppy in places. Can't really forgive that. Um, so yeah, we will nominate, uh, we will vote for Hogan versus Savage from WCW Halloween Havoc, I think. Think, yep, yeah, sounds about right. Halloween Havoc 1996 for our worst match of the year, but there are a lot of contenders. I think Rory's gonna put together a list for us on the site. We move on ah. next. Something a bit more positive. Best show of the year. Jail, your nominations. Are we allowed to vote for the only fools and horses Christmas specials? Um, <laughs> possibly. Because I'm kind of clutching for this one. Um, actual pay per views, I'm honestly drawing a blank. For the full year, there's been good and bad, especially in ECW, WCW. You pretty much get a brilliant show two hours in. If you're only eight minute and a two hour video, you're laughing because every line will be brilliant. WWF has just passed me by this year for, for show of the year. The only thing that I have got is Nitro because it's just changed the way that the the business is going. So Nitro is the only thing I've got, Bob. Oh, everyone, I'm going with WCW Monday Nitro. Right. Okay, as a so from January to December, if I'm going to be specific about it. Okay, all right, Rory. Oh, it's interesting because the highest rating I've actually given to a given to a show so far was the Big Ass Extreme Bash back in March, which I gave nine to. But so that's not actually on my list. I've got it down to three. I've got it down to a uh, Great American Bash, Bash at the Beach, and Survivor Series. Okay, interesting. Del, anything on? Any of those three? Any of those three? Or are you just sticking with Nitro? Seeing that Rory never went, well, I'll go with the big ass extreme bash. I'll put an annoyance for that. Okay. And then I, I only nominated Great American Bash for once. I've only got one in there, uh, as well. Um, Dad, we're going to speak, we, we will have spoken about Nitro on, uh, on the, uh, interview review. So we'll kind of scrub that out, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, I know what you mean. So that's that. I, I think for for this award, it, yeah, we, we've nominated television shows before, but it does have to be one show. Um, it was episodes. Aye. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, let's Rory uh, Bash at the Beach. Bash at the Beach. Um, everyone knows how Bash at the Beach ended, and uh, that's worth almost full ten points in, in its own right. But what else is what, what else is there to talk about? Uh, the previous two and a half hours of by and large some really stellar action. I think everybody. Almost everybody involved at this particular event knew it was going to be a big one because of what was happening at the end. So everybody brought their absolute A game. It flew past. There were some terrific individual matches, one of which we're going to talk about a bit later on. And uh, it was a WCW event where everybody brought their working boots. And it's the same as Great American Bash, actually. The two of them really do go together well, and obviously episodic. Um, the Bash of the Beach is... Um, you might know the end, but uh, I want you to all know the first two and a half hours as well. Great, great two and a half hours watching of wrestling, and sometimes that's all you really want, even before you get to that ending. Survivor Series? Survivor Series, um, the, because almost certainly based on the two big matches delivering the very, very best they could. There's a lot of good undercard stuff. I'm not a massive fan of the Survivor Series concept, but all of those matches are at the very least are entertaining. But uh, two big matches, which WWF really needed to fire on all cylinders, especially considering it was a big, big four show at the Garden. And uh, every box there was ticked. And uh, I was thoroughly entertained in the real sporting sense uh, throughout. So uh, what's been a bad, bad year for the WWF on pay-per-view, they nearly saved themselves with this one. Dell, big-ass extreme bash? 
Go back to March the, and ECW. Yeah, I mean, the main thing that stands out for it's obviously Mysterio and Guerrera. Um, the, the blessing that ECW's got, especially when it's like one of these two night shows, um, at the point we only done one, but there was mentions of the, of the two nights and it's when they've got live events, you get that blessing it being edited. You get the, the post production stuff added in. You get the filler, not taken out, but largely dismissed when, when you get the kind of standard set up of shows in 96, I alluded to it earlier, but you get the undercard in WCW and then the main event kind of dies a death. In ECW, it's kind of the opposite way about when you get the couple of filler matches to start with. They're over quickly. You get the good wrestling match in the middle, then you get folk beating the shit out of each other with whatever they can find in the main event. Um, but I mean, for a, for a year that's been pretty lackluster in, in pay-per-views, the main things that stand out are, are more kind of moments, I would say, whether it's, the, I mean, the, the obvious ones going back to the summer way. With Hogan going from Hulk to Hollywood, um, Rory sell that pretty well. It was a decent, you know, pay-per-view by WCW standards, but for ECW, I've always got a soft spot for them, and I think with the kind of changes that they've had in the last couple of years, they still be pulling it, as I say, especially in the middle, Ray and Hoovy, to still find these nuggets through the wrestling world, whether it's America, going out of Japan, or coming through the coming through Triple A down South America, they, they seem to just pull these things out and just make the absolute most of what they've got. Rory, quite welcome back. Yep, so I'll briefly mention it as well, because again, this was an archetypal wrestling show. You have your great, great work at the start, you have your big, big moments at the end, including, as again, one of the biggest moments of them all, which I'm going to talk about a bit later on. The two hours, uh, two and three quarter hours when I first watched this, they absolutely flew by and in the best possible sense again great matches great drama it's what you want your pay-per-views to be it's uh, and especially as this came before uh, the formation of the nwo so it's almost two halves of the year the way we talk about it now this was a perfect counterpoint to the first half of the wrestling year and it fully fully deserves nomination here definitely yeah. check it out if you haven't yeah, I, I know it was the only one I, I, I kind of put forward, but I, I don't think there's anything else in its in its category, really, in its in the same kind of conversation. I mean, talk about a really really fun three hour show with some really really good action, about three really well executed angles, really really well. The stuff with Benoit and Arn Anderson, the angle with. Um, the Horseman and Kevin Green and Steve McMichael was really well done. There was a third and it slipped me off. Oh, of course, the um, the bit with uh, Hall and Nash and Eric Bischoff as well. In amongst a show of really good action, just a balmy pay-per-view. Uh, Dale, your vote for show of the year. Uh, the best show of the year, as I say, is still Nitro, but playing by the rules, as I always do, Bob, it's, it's probably got to be Great American Bash. Roy? Yeah, great American bash, a great show in its own right, and it set the groundwork for the next six months. Yeah, we are in agreement on that. The uh, the best show of the year. I, I think the angles were probably the thing that stood out more. But not only just attempting three quite big angles, but they all came off uh, in front of a crowd that really wanted to react to them as well. So, uh, great American bash from June 1996 is our best show of the year. Moving on. So the worst show of the year. Rory, your nomination. <laughs> oh, God, God. You're, too, you're too nice, you probably really are. Uh, I've got three here. Uh, could have been more. I've gone for three for fear of brain implosion. I've gone for Uncensored. I've gone for SummerSlam. And I've gone for In Your House, It's Time. 
SummerSlam at N-I-Y-H. It's Tardell. Uh, in your house, I think you're spoiled about whether it's, <laughs> it's time international. And there's so many. Um, worst shows between two for me, unsurprisingly, they're both WCW. Um, uncensored, we've already spoken about two of the matches on it already. And also Hog Wild and Sturgis. Hog Wild, interesting, interesting. Um, I have a completely different list. Um, I have the the show me, Dal and Kieran ripped apart in, I think it was April, Hostile City Showdown. Um, wasn't necessarily the worst show. We just, we, we panned it so much. It didn't feel right putting it in there. Uh, World War Three had to go in there. Um, and my other nomination is Slamboree. Uh, there are others that could be in here as well. I just don't think I dislike Uncensored quite much as anyone else did. Uh, Rory, let's start there. Let's start with Uncensored. Uh, Uncensored had those two wonderful matches we talked about earlier and uh, had a whole lot of nothing else. The only reason Uncensored uh, exists is for its uh, supposed uh, anything can go concept, but nothing really happens in there. Everything they do just turns to nonsense. They've been doing it for years and they've just got to drop it. I was, I was looking at the card here now and I was just getting horrible, horrible flashbacks to it. Um, they've got to drop the idea, but this was probably the worst example of it so far and I've already been some bad ones. I just hate the concept so much I had to put it in here. It doesn't fit WCW at all. I wish they wouldn't persist with it. Dell, uncensored. Um, again, not touching on what we've spoken about before, but as Rory, Rory alluded to, the, the uncensored quote-unquote idea, it, it doesn't really have a place, especially in WCW, especially in 1996, because there is so much in Philadelphia that's that's truly uncensored, whether it's the whether it's the new jacks of the world or if it's just the general ECW main events, uncensored just doesn't work in that kind of cartoon age. I mean, the the two matches that we've already spoke about, the the Loch Ness, the Backle in the middle as well, it's just a, it's just a it's an outdated concept for where that company was at that point. Whether they can come back for it in the next year, if they still keep it on with the, the NWO now being a thing, it might have a bit more credence to it, but for what it was and when it was, it was just really bad. It was just a weird time. Uh, and I'm sitting more now, now they're kind of pushing the envelope out a bit further. The idea of having a show that's uncensored doesn't really make sense. I mean, it never made sense anyway. They had a show called Uncensored and then censored a load of stuff in 95. Um, sacked people for doing uncensored that. Yeah. That, that, that as well. Um, but yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I just hated other shows more. Um, Roy, we did it this month in your house. It's time. Yeah, I had to put that in. If anything, I think I was probably a bit too kind to it uh, on the show, uh, this, this month. This was a roster just waiting for the end of the year. Quite frankly, they didn't give a fuck. Um, a name, a main event that never took off and nothing on the card with angles nobody cared about. Uh, the best match was a thrown together open of two guys who are at least actually trying uh, in a drab arena with we now know with not much of a turnout and uh, it embodied what's been so much wrong with the WWF this year and it was horrible. It was short but it was horrible. Del Hogwild. Mm, um, it's as strange goes in wrestling. It was strange. Um, I mean, on paper, it could have worked the, the false situation with it being outdoors. I'm always a fan of kind of things that change up how wrestling looks because you kind of just get the same thing, especially when it's WCW and they spend as long and, 
in centre stage, it, it should have maybe been a bit more interesting than it was. But the the actual the actual show was just dreadful. I mean, they never made any money off it because folk got in for nothing. The the Alundra Blazer, Medusa and Bill Nicano, I've never seen that before. The main event was dreadful. The crowd and parts of it was bothering on just racism. Um, I'm but not sure they man, were bordering on it in parts. I think well, they were there in parts. To be kind, we'll say bordering, but let's be frank, it was just fucking outrageous. Some of the stuff that was going on in that show. But then you, you get a show at that and you invite and bikers, what you expecting? No, I mean, I, I think it was just purely a vanity project for Bischoff, who just wants to be in the Hell's Angels, and it was just, it was hellish. Rory SummerSlam. Uh, it was a disgrace to the name. As I, as I said, go back and listen to the show uh, in August, where I made very clear that this was the second biggest show of the year, and it didn't even feel like a house show, even when you include the two big main events, which was the only reason the show really existed. Uh, they didn't even catch fire the way they should. So a, even they didn't say the show. Uh, this was what, what we got to see four months later on. It's time uh, extended, except in a, a really good-looking arena where they'd actually managed to virtually sell it out there, 16,000. And they gave them dreadful matches. We, we mentioned two of them earlier. Again, a roster who just, for whatever reason, just did not want to be there. And the crowd who were killed and some senseless booking. Disgrace to the name. Yeah, let me rattle through my three. I mean, this is one of those categories where you could nominate about ten each and justify them all. Um, also, City Showdown was a bad show. I don't actually think it was that bad in the sense that on its own, just more that me, Dal and Kieran are all a bit long in the tooth of the ECW, and they've just got enough things wrong on that front. Um, but the, in terms of the most savage show review we've done of the year, I think that was probably it. Uh, World War Three for all the reasons we went through last month, um, just a, a frustrating under the card in front of a flat crowd and then the main event that was just dreadful and then Slamboree the, the battle ball concept's back and guess what guys it sucks and guess what <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a we'll have a load of guys involved and we'll have any of them advance through the first round and then we'll have a, a a kind of sort of main event that ends with pinfalls even though you never established that pinfalls could win it and all that kind of thing um god uh, Rory what a vote for here uh, I'm going to go for, say, compelling cases for everything we talked about. But I'm going to go for SummerSlam because a big show should never, ever be that bad. Del? Uh, similar to what I've mentioned there, I still think Hogwild was the worst, the worst show, but going with Rory, SummerSlam had prestige prior to this year and it lost that prestige. <laughs> so when it's, when it's a big name like that, you've, you've just got to go with the sheer blast for me. That's why I'll go with SummerSlam. Interesting, interesting. Well, what my vote here at this stage doesn't matter. I've actually ended up going with Hogwild, even though I didn't nominate it. Um, I think just because, one, it was a very bad show, Dale, for all the reasons that you mentioned, uh, but also for the pay-per-view that followed your big angle starting. Yeah, about four or five weeks after, possibly the biggest angle in wrestling. Um, and they just shit the bed. But you've, uh, you two have both nominated voted for SummerSlam, so that's what it will be. We'll move on next to Rising Star slash best debut slash most improved we've basically bumbled four different <laughs> categories into one uh, Dale your nominations for Rising Star of the Year um, I think um, you've kind of put me out a wee bit of a loss now when you're mixing in that many because most improved I would probably fit in Diamond Dallas Page but sticking to the sticking to the Rising Star I've, I've got you might even laugh at me for this but I'm going to put forward Glacier because I just think he's done brilliant there was a big build up 
Uh, Glacier, I'm going to go with the Stone Cold Steve Austin character, and I'm going to go with Taz in ECW. Roy? Well, I haven't gone for Glacier. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've also gone for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, if, again, if I knew exactly the, if you want to bring DDP's been terrific this year, but a rising star, probably not. And uh, you, you, you're expecting this one. Stevie Richards. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stevie Richards, my two picks for Rising Star. Okay, well, Richards just missed my cut, so it gives me a reason to discuss him, if nothing else. Uh, I've also nominated Steve Austin. Uh, I have nominated Darren Dallas Page as well. Um, that one, I didn't just write DDP down there rather than writing it for. Uh, my nomination, Ray Mysterio Jr. Uh, where to begin here? As I say, a category that does involve a lot of different things. Dale Glacier, really? Yep. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, but isn't that enough? Is he? I mean, I, 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 I'm with you. I think Glacier is great, but I, you know, he's, he's barely done anything. There's very few. I mean, out of the ones that we've listed, is there anybody that's not been on here before? Discussing um, this show. Um, I mean, if we're talking debuts, the man debuted this year. I think he has a rising star. I think he's got a good look about him. He's got a cool entrance. They've given him the time. They've given him the production. I think he's in merit, Bob. Fair enough. Um, Rory, uh, do you know my Taz or is that Dell? Uh, yeah, that's, that's Dell. Uh, Dell, Taz. Taz, it was between him and Ray Mysterio Jr. for me. The reason that I've put him in a rising star category when he has been about for what, about three years now? Um, I think Taz will be in one of the Nationals in the next year, and that's why I've put him down as a rising star. I just think he's too... I think he's too current, and he's too good in the time that he is in to stay in ECW, as much as I don't want to see him leave. You don't really get a huge amount of singles guys coming out of ECW. I mean, there's been the... The Benoit's and Malenko's, but it's more been in recent times like tag teams like the like Public Enemy um, that's kind of come out of there. But I think I think there's there's certain guys in each company that could be that could be superstars. I, I mentioned it briefly in the WCW part of the show, but Taz I think is something that will be a rising star, not just in ECW. But in the country, I can see him easily fitting into a WWF or a WCW. If they keep him the way he is in ECW, I think he could be the one of the brightest stars in next year. Um, let me talk about Darren Dallas Page. When it feels weird talking about a rising star slash most improved about a guy who's about 38. Um, but Page this year entered as a somewhat compelling, somewhat decent act that, you know, as we kind of saw in the first third of the year, he put him in the ring with a wrong opponent, could just shit the bed. Although I will give him the, I will give him a pass on that good. He was in the ring with Booty Man. Um, but a guy that towards the end of the year feels like one of the kingmakers in the NWO angle. The diamond cutter is superb. Um, and his promos have come on a long, long way as well. And I'm kind of glad he's seems to assure himself of Max, of, of his, Life, admittedly, uh, Kimberly as well, and all that kind of stuff. And we're just left with Pays, this guy that's really, really easy to root for. Um, and I think he deserves his uh, chops in there. Um, Roy, let's talk about Stevie Richards. Yes, let's. First things first, I completely endorse everything you said about DDP in that category. Um, he always hurts me the base now. But yes, Stevie. Um, every time I'm on, the sh- I'm on an ECW show, I, ben- I basically end up proposing to the man. Um, I'm going to repeat what I always say because the flair he has. 
for genuine comedy. And not just necessarily just slapstick nonsense. Yes, when he's called upon to do that, he does that brilliantly as well. But he just lights up every single ring he is in. And ECW, that takes some doing. Again, he is, it is an absolute pleasure to watch him. Even when he's given slightly ropier material, for example, I think like the BWO stuff as much as some people have. He just goes with it and he just gives his absolute best. It helps a lot that he's not just pure comic relief because he can very much go in the ring as we've discussed as well. But abs- just running through his segments inside now, the Lord Stevie stuff, the Baron Von Stevie, which was an absolute riot, uh, the Kiss parody. Where do you want to go? This man could do anything he wants, anywhere he wants to, quite frankly. He's a, he's a potential superstar. And I mean that. He is. Yeah, um, you kind of feel like he's got all the tools. I won't have much more in one because I didn't nominate him, but also because I think you said it all. Um, but he's been one of the most consistent acts in ECW. And as I kind of said before, like it, they should focus on him more. They should feature him more, really. I know he's kind of comedic mid-card, but he's, he could be better than that. Um, you know, we might be seeing, you know, he might be the kind of guy that gets picked up by WCW and gets pushed ECW. Um, let me talk about Ray Mysterio. Um, he's going to feature in our later on because I'm going to no- I'm going to nominate him for at least one of the other categories. Um, at least one. Uh, talk about a guy who, in amongst others, it should be said, Ray Mysterio isn't having great matches with not great workers, but a guy that's come in and I think he's changing the business. I think he's come in as a guy that you would, by every sense of the word, call undersized. And he's coming in with very, very little character and is having some fantastic matches. I know I don't like all of them at times. I know some of them are are a bit oddly put together. But you cannot deny that the guy is doing some spectacular stuff. And if it's one guy that's redefining the wrestling business in 1996, it's Rey Mysterio. Um, and that's why I'd, I, I'd, I'd give him serious consideration for this. Um, but, Dale, we, we may have given away our hand, given that he was the only one we all, all three of us nominated for, or nominated. Um, but let's talk about Steve Austin. Is the, the term kind of superstars come up a couple of times in this? And looking at looking at Steve, I mean, I, I vaguely remember talking, it might even have been 94 94, maybe 95, I was worried about Steve Austin because he kind of showed he showed definitely what he could do in the ring and there was glimpses of what he could do as a character, whether he was taking the piss and laughing at Ricky Steamboat or kind of just getting the very limited microphone time that he was afforded but it was like, where does he go? Are we going to be sitting here in five years and he's still going to be the same kind of reliable hand that he was? But this year he's just went for it's just uncharted where he's went, kind of considering where he, where he was before. Um, ECW, it was only a couple of months, I think it was two, three months he was there. He'd never done much. He was only really starting to get back into the ring after the injury when he was, when he was plucked up at New York. And what he's done, oof, I mean, I, I don't think he was brought in there to be expected to begin straight into feuds with Bret Hart and kind of having potential match of the year candidates and the, I mean, I'm sure it's something you'll talk about later on, Bob, but everybody kind of talks about this this King of the Ring, how he spoke about Jake and what he'd done in the build-up with Bret Hart. I just thought he just showed up Bret Hart for his one weakness, and it's just charisma. Bret Hart's as good a wrestler as you're going to get, but Austin just owned him in the build-up to that, and I just think he's such a star. It, 
it's just unreal. Roy? I want to pick up on one word Dale said there, which I think spells it all out for me, and that is the word himself. Stunning Steve Austin probably wasn't himself. The ringmaster, sure as bloody hell, wasn't himself. But Stone Cold Steve Austin is, I believe, Steve Williams' real persona, with the volume turned right up to 11. And when was the last time we saw a character in the WWF who really, really was that? Bret Hart, maybe. They're from a very different, very different kettle of fish. But uh, when it comes along, you've got to go with it. And I get the impression that if they just carry on letting this guy be the guy he is, and he doesn't get muted or watered down or or told to tone things and just carry on being himself, which he is on promos, and still getting business done in the ring, which is more than proof he can do, then they they could have something very, very special on their hands. Um, if they keep this going, and I see a uh, big, big gold for him uh, in 1997, uh, depending on how all the booking plays out, I really hope he gets it. And they have captured, we use one of my favourite phrases, almost by accident again, lightning in a bottle. Yeah, um, you should both said it really. I mean, consistency will be an issue, but I, I think, you know, that promo in June was, was what it was. And then he kind of flattened out for a while, became almost this kind of upper mid card act. And then fortunately he's got a friend in Bret Hart who came back, signed a contract. God knows what happened if he hadn't, um, and said, I want Steve Austin. And then they gave Austin the reins. And I think it's, it says a lot that Austin spent two months just you know, shouting whatever he wanted to. And we've ended the year in 1996 in WWF, and now everyone's doing it, which is almost not a great thing for Austin, um, given that I was kind of his USP. Um, but he set a trend now, um, and we'll see about that. Dell, your vote's in this category. Glacier is second <laughs> to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well saved. Rory? Uh, I really, really want to pick Stevie, but I think... Big things are definitely coming for Stone Cold Steve Austin. They might for Stevie, so it has to be Stone Cold. Yeah, I very, very nearly voted for Rey Mysterio, um, but no, I think uh, Austin is the rightful winner as we head into 1997. Moving on next to the non-match segment of the year, Dell, your nominations. The nominations for me is Shane Douglas in the Purple. The split screen between Brett and Steve Austin, I think it was prior to Survivor Series, that split screen interview they done, and the Hogan turn. Really interesting, I've got some of those coming up a bit later. Oh, I did a, a, a stream of consciousness of three, and the first three that came into my head were uh, the uh, the Nash Hall Bischoff segment of Great American Bash. It was the tease of Savu and Taz last month, and it was Brian Pillman's appearance at Cyberslam. Okay. Yes, it's going to be one of those. We, we might end up splitting the uh, the NWO vote here. Uh, I've nominated National Hall on Nitro, where they run down to the ring with baseball bats and generally just cause shit to happen. Um, I've also got... Uh, oh, yeah. I've also got Austin and Brett, and I've also got Douglas and Pitbull from... October, whenever it was. Uh, where to begin here? Uh, Rory, we, we kind of cover off Sabu and Taz, but briefly, your thoughts on that angle? Uh, the Sabu Taz, it's very specifically the tease of the lights coming on and uh, the, so the crowd going absolutely mental. That was just proof that uh, how utterly compelling and powerful professional wrestling can be. This is a crowd of just over a thousand people. Um, but the noise they made would have would have shamed a hundred thousand people. It was absolutely astonishing. You you just you just can't 
<laughs> I was not going to say you can't create moments like that. Maybe you can. Uh, and I just thought uh, it, it was a uh, wonderful, and uh, it was for, for the second thing that came to my mind here, and it just—I ha- don't think it's going to win, but I had to put it down here because it was 15, 20 seconds of gold. Simple as that. Uh, the third thing that came to your mind, Brian Pillman at CyberSlam. Brian Pillman's appearance again—it's when the lights come on. So there's a theme here, and he's there, and the crowd are just stunned to see him, and he's there holding his uh, arm, holding his arm in the air. The microphone arm is just slowly spinning it around the ring, and everyone is just watching him do it. And he didn't even need to say a word. We might find out what the words he actually say might get a mention a bit later on, but there. And it's just the appearance of him. It felt like this absolute force of nature coming out of nowhere. And he didn't even need to say a word. He had the crowd in the palm of his hand without even doing anything. And again, it's in professional wrestling for me, it's the little things. And that's why it's there. Dale, sticking with the theme ECW, Shane Douglas and the Pitbulls. Yes, uh, talking moments that you cannot create. They did create that um, Taz and Sabu, and they did also create this, but... Dare I say, I think they knew what they were going to expect with Taz and Sabu, with Shane Douglas and, and Pitbull 1. They did not expect, I think, what, what inevitably came out of this. It was just, it's why these moments that you just don't get really in 1990s wrestling, 80s, 70s, all day long. But to, to work a crowd like they did, similar to what Rory mentioned with, with Pillman, it's like the, the smartest ones are the easiest ones to fool, and it? And it's like, this just became such, just, you don't, it's just heat, man. It's like, so hot. And it just stems out of the life. I mean, the, the circumstances in it are pretty regrettable, bearing in mind the, the legitimate injuries going on here. But it was just so hot. And it, it's for Shane Douglas to come back, for him to be kind of Philly's favourite arsehole, and just lap it up in the genuine emotion involved with Pitbull. It's just, I thought it was something to behold this year. Yeah, um, I don't even necessarily think it was a great angle. I think it's just more what made it so great was the reaction of the people in the building. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you watch the angle, it's necessarily all that good. I had my own qualms with Pitbull 1. You know, I, I, I never thought that Pitbull 1 could have all that many complaints given that he got into the ring. Um, you know, you get into the ring, what were you, what were you trying to do? Um, and the angle itself was, you know, just Douglas just shook him down, but it was, it said a lot of how ECW presented it, the whole storyline up until that point, but people bought into that moment so well. And the bit where about two or three people independently kind of vault the guardrail and end up, we end up with a lot of ECW guys, like having to basically surround Shay Douglas to get him out of the building for his own safety. Like that wasn't really an angle. That was mostly a shoot. Um, incredibly strong angle. We'll come to WTW in a minute. Um, Dale, let's talk about Bret Hart and Steve Austin. This, this for me was the moment Steve Austin became stone cold. And I know it's been coming for a couple of months and as we say, the full king of the ring kind of aftermath. And this is when it's like, shit, man, this is, this is kicking off. And it's like, you, you can trust Bret Hart to go into a ring with people and he'll make them or he'll break them. But to get just owned in this, which, which Austin did to him, I mean, he's a, he's a WWF champion. He's surely a future Hall of Famer. He's probably on his day the best wrestler in the country, if not the world. And Austin just killed him. And it's, 
it's it, it was just really really must watch TV for me. It's if you look at what TV can be and what TV's there to do and promoting promoting guys, promoting matches and Austin. It, it, it kind of went back to what he was doing in ECW when you just heard them call it Eric Bischoff, but this was just in a national stage. It's Bret Hart, I just thought it was must-watch. Yeah, he eviscerated him, didn't he? Um, you know, that was... I, I assume Bret's plan was, well, let's you know give Austin some shine and give him some exposure, we'll give him a give him a, a talking segment and I'll let him kind of, you know, dominate. But I don't know whether Bret Hart's plan was let him run me over. And if that had been in the ring, I mean, God knows how that would have come across. Because Bret had no answer and it was kind of fortunate they were just able to kind of cut it off. Um, that was the night Stone Cold Steve Austin became a big deal. Um, you know, I think he'll need a few more of those, but I think it showed us that he's capable of it. Um... Right, let's let's split the atom and talk about these WCW angles. Um, we'll go chronologically, shall we? Uh, we'll start with well, I think the I think the baseball bat thing was after the pay per view. So, Rory, I think we'll start with you. Was that right, or were you Hogan's yep. turn? Uh, no, no, I've, I've, uh, I've gone for a Great American Bash. So I'm, I'm, I'm right, before start, back start with that. Yeah, I've gone I've gone for this Great American Bash. It was the first thing to get into my head for this category because it accomplished two things. One. Uh, it got Jerry McDivitt off Eric Bischoff's back for at least a little while, <laughs> with the <laughs> so, slightly with the slightly awkward but very very important D work for the WWF line. It worked in kayfabe and indeed very importantly non kayfabe terms. And secondly, it showed, and everything else that came after this was put here. Not, even not the promos before when they showed up on Nitro. It was this. Eric Bischoff has been a, been appeared on WCW for three years, and here are Hall and Nash beating the hell out of him just because they can, because they are here to wreck shop. And this showed that this invasion, whatever you want to call it at the time, the hostile takeover, that, oh my goodness me, they're only going to do it. I mean, who's going to be next? And we all saw what who was actually coming next. Um, WCW tried to orchestrate this kind of thing with the with the uncensored pay-per-view, which we talked about earlier. But here, this was as natural as, you could put, as throwing a, an announcer through through a set can actually be. And my jaw was on the floor when I saw it, and I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it now. Uh, it was just so powerful, and uh, I could watch it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, and then we move on um, to... Uh, what should we move on to now? So let's move on to me, I think, regarding um, the baseball bat angle that I think happened at the end of June. And there's so many different things we can discuss about with the end, where the where the pre-NWO stuff's con- concerned. And I, you know, I think we can't say it here. I, I think it's illustrative that the best bit of the NWO was before the NWO fall. The best part of the that whole angle was the end of May through the beginning of July, and to an extent, probably through to the end of July. After that, it kind of fell down a bit, but when it felt really fresh and really raw and really exciting, I don't think anything summed up that angle more or that whole run more than this bit here, where I'm not sure if they'd appeared on the entire show up until this point, and yet we just pan to a wide shot and the crowd come alive, and we just see National Hall steaming down through the crowd to ring with baseball bats. And I think it's Hall just gets the bat and just smashes it across the ring steps a couple of times, makes this big booming sound, and it's like, 
shit's going down. And then security storm the ring and the match just stops. And the angle finishes. In fact, there was a title change, I think. And the angle finishes and they're just still on the outside. I just thought it was... I thought it was the best angle all year. Um, and Del, we, we, we finished this this category with the the Hogan turn itself. You've you've got to build it because for me it was the main event of this whole thing. It's what everything depended on. Um, as, as good as these moments have been, this is the moment for me, and I, I don't think it's, it's certainly a mark kind of memory. I can't think of anything like this. It's the it's the thing that we not thought would never harm. It's Hogan just turns his back and turns his heel at the same time, and it's there was so many factors that just came together perfectly. The the arrival of Hall, the the introduction of Nash, the the beatdowns, the freshness, everything was just leading to that moment, and the instant investment that you got with that ring getting trashed, Hogan. It honestly became relevant again and I don't think he has for at least must be about five years since he was in I think it was at Mania 7 probably the last time I can remember Hulk Hogan feeling relevant and it's just this was the pinnacle I mean the, the only thing I can even think of to try and compare it to is it's like the moment that it's just the moment that Every single part of what had been building came together. It's kind of like the Shawshank Redemption when you see the pebble getting through through the poster and it all becomes clear everything that's been building up just came to an absolute crescendo. And I think for a company that cannot handle angles like that, they've done it impeccably. And if it's not the moment of the year, I, I just don't understand wrestling. Rory, your vote. But I agree with absolutely every single word Dallas said there, but uh, it was a match segment. The match hadn't finished when he turned heel. Anyway. <laughs> Don't fuck that is it. A good, that's, a good point. that's a good point. That is a good point. That's why I didn't include it, genuinely. I, I, I guess, though, Del could, could just go on the post-match promo and, and you'd be in your own we right. Might, we, like we might get there later on as well. But I've got, I'm, well, I'm going for um, uh, the Hall Nash Bischoff segment at Great American Bash. Del. Got to be my moment of the year, the Hogan turn. Yeah, we're just going to end up splitting the NWO here. I'm going with the baseball bat thing. All right, we'll just we'll just give it them all. That whole four or five week stretch is phenomenal. Yeah, um, all of those segments. We've each picked one out for different reasons. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we're, we're splitting three sides of the same argument. I think so. They all go through. Right, the flop or fail of the year, Dell. Couple of different ones. The general latter day booking of who's in the NWO. Um, the main one for me has got to be fake Razor and fake Diesel. Rory? Fake Diesel, fake Razor. I know you're surprised to hear that. And uh, this one, because that's so far in front, but I'll come up with the second one as well. And that's uh, Jeff Jarrett as plucky, fiery baby face. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <Christ. laughs> oh, yikes. Um, no, I didn't nominate Jarrett. But yeah, fake Razor and fake Diesel. Uh, that'll come up again in a minute, I think. Um, and two other ones, uh, Loch Ness. <laughs> um, that feels like a while ago, but that was dreadful. And here's an interesting one on the end, Vader. Oh, yeah, 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 good call. Let that sink in for a minute. Um, 
Dell, NWO generally, or just people doing like more, that? Aye, I mean, more latter day, to be fair, as you said, just in the, the last the award, there was moments where this was amazing, but the the last couple of months, Jesus, the, just the stretching, it, plucking at names. I mean, considering... You, you're telling me you wouldn't have put forward VK Wall Street <laughs> as the third man in July? I mean, IRS could, Can you IRS could do their books, but I mean, I don't know what Wall Street offers. Um, I mean, it, it's just when you, how can you have something and then it's, I mean, it's like the summer oil again when you have the Hogan turn and then you go into Hogwild. It's like you have the NWO angle, it's the hottest thing in wrestling. And then you get Flash Norton, or you get Marcus Bagwell, and it's like, come on. And it's, I mean, I suppose it might not even be in a, a kind of flop category, because it's that, kind of, it's just after diving board, it's not had a chance to flop yet, but fuck me, you can tell it's coming. Rory, Jeff Jarrett. Just who came up with this ridiculous idea? If you're going to bring Jarrett in, then that's, I'd almost have Jarrett as a NWO hanger on number 2,400. 6,000 zillion and just trying to have him as the has the kind of the ring leader who everybody needs to rally behind as he takes on the NWO I mean Jeff Jarrett really I mean they tried to get him some residual cheers by kind of semi pit pairing him up with Flair and that hasn't worked either he's booed in every every, every match uh, he's in uh, he's just playing the same wannabe country music star he was playing before where he was rightly hated and it just it just has not worked. It's only gone on for about two or three months. It's still like it's gone on about two or three lifetimes. I cringe every time I see them still trying to pull this ludicrous, ludicrous angle. I've never seen anybody so miscast in all my life. It's terrible. Yeah, bloody hell. I mean, it, it's testimony to how quickly they just backtracked on it. Admittedly, we ended the year in a bit of an old spot with that angle right at the end of last night, bro. But that whole thing lasted about five weeks and they just went, ah, you know, maybe not. We've kind of been through that on WCW in the last few months. Um, but Jarrett, yeah. I mean, like, Flair gave him the endorsement. Like, is there... It, will we look back on Ric Flair's career and find a more bizarre run than that <laughs> six-week period where Ric Flair just randomly endorsed Jeff Jarrett as the future? Like, what a weird guy to do it for. Um, Loch Ness, I mean, you know, was he ever meant to be that much? I guess not. But so bad. So so bad. The angle in February, they had to they they had to change the angle because he couldn't get in the cage. <laughs> oh God! Fuck's sake! And everything else that came with it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he'll get nominated here, but he, he don't get voted for. But he deserves a nomination. Um, Rory, talk to me about fake razor and fake diesel. Uh, if I must. Um... If you remember, we were talking about the ludicrous idea back in August that it was supposed about WWF going to weekly pay-per-views. And we decided it was probably one of the worst ideas in history. And it was just an example of the WWF uh, imitating panic stations. Barely two weeks later, they give us this. This has to be a joke, right? Uh, this has to be, if you, if you, this has to be a one-shot deal. No, you're not really. You're not really showing them turning on Savio Vega. No, you're not going to have Jim Ross cut a promo. That's a very good one. Uh, and then bringing them out. And then you're not going to make us pretend they are the real Diesel or Razor. And you're not going to try a backtrack and say, I never said Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were coming here. And you're not going to actually push them as a tag team. And you're not going to still have them in the ring. Rick Bogger is one of the worst workers in, in the world. 
Oh, yes, we bloody well are. Hideous. And it's still going on now. <laughs> it certainly is, Del. You talk about a failure. I mean, it, even I would struggle to find the positives out of what this could have been. You can see, oh, we've got the intellectual rights, but uh, I don't know. It's, can you imagine? They had the, they had, they had the backup of watching the Renegade. It's like if you were ever going to learn what that ultimate surprise was, and then they do it a year later, but they do it with two people. I, I just. It's the definition of flop for me, and God love him, I really, really worry about Unibom, because Unibom was brilliant, and then they stuck him with Isaac Yankum, and it's like, can't get any worse than that, <laughs> and then they fucking throw this at, and it's like, he's, I don't know, it's just, it's the absolute defining of a flop for me, fake rates and fake, de- I don't know, awful. Yeah, funnily enough, I think there's uh, another category that we might get to discuss about the more, even more coming up in a sec. Um, so I'll leave that for now. Um, I think the flop of the year has been Vader. Um, you know, he's been good, but, you know, we, we talk about WCW stealing, stealing, signing, whatever, depending on, you know, who, who's, who's, uh, whose side you're looking at from. It's taking, two of the, the, the best guys WWF had. Let's be clear about what they took. They took a guy that failed on top in 1995 and kind of retooled his character in Diesel, end up being somewhat compelling in the first third of 96. And a guy that the WWF, for one reason or another, for good or for bad, never proved could do anything at a top level. And now admittedly, they've, they've taken the greater heights than WWF could have done. But WF at the beginning of 1996 bought in, like, WCW's MVP, basically. The big WCW star, the one guy they'd never had in Vader. The guy that theoretically should have been really fucking simple to book. And they got it wrong. What's, what's quite spectacular was, was they didn't really get it wrong, like, really impressively. They just booked him badly. Consistently badly. Um... And yeah, like I, you know, we get to the end of the year and it's like, why isn't Vader the guy on top in a year when they've had nobody? The year when you had nobody else. Why not just give Vader the ball? He's good enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you, you start the year with Vader, like their problems, they shouldn't have had any problems at all this year. Um, and they have with, with one of the strongest acts of the nineties, a guy that, you know, isn't going to be around forever in the sense that he wrestles a style and he's of such a side his body isn't going to hang around for very much longer. But they had a guy that wasn't uh, a Flair or a Savage or a Hogan. His best years might be behind him, but he's not over the hill. And they just didn't get it right. And it's it's kind of a mystery to me because all of the all the things are in place. Uh, Dale, your vote for this category. Flop of the year has to be fake reason, fake diesel. Rory. Oh snap. Uh, I'm gonna vote for Vader. My, uh, my, my, my lack of disdain in this category for fake rage and fake diesel is gonna become very, very clear in a minute. Uh, as we move <laughs> on next to the, the new category for 1996, the worst booking decision of the year. Rory. I had potentially millions and zillions here, but yeah, I managed to get it down to a couple. Uh, I've got three here. I've got, um, 
where shall we begin? I've got the, all towards the end of the year actually, I've got, um, putting mass transit in with New Jack. I've got, uh, Lex Luger not winning the World War Three main event. And I've got the Hogan Piper bait and switch at Starcade. What, as in it, it not being a title match? As in it not being a title match, correct. Del. I think you'll find, regardless of the title aspect, it never happened. Um, <laughs> it kind of, it's a bit similar to the last one, to be honest, Bob, but I'm going to be a bit more specific, particularly it pertains to booking. Two people that joined the NWO is two separate kind of decisions for me. One was booking the Giant in, in the first place, and the second was Eric Bashoff joining. And then the third booking is just the general layout of the World War Three main event. Hmm. God, I've got to get this down to three. Um, yeah, well, vote number one was fake razor and fake diesel. Um, I guess that depends on where you draw the line on talent flopping and, and draw the line on a promotion failing a storyline. Um, number two, I'm surprised this hasn't come up. ECW shoot fights. Oh, bloody hell! Bloody hell. Ah, yes, but, they, but, but they were shoots. They weren't booked, were they? <laughs> <laughs> Bollocks! I can't put it in. You're right. Shit. Uh, yeah. Um, and the third one. Oh, um, no. Go on. I'm gonna. I'll call. I'll call the. Uh, you know, I can. I can vote for it if I want to. So I won't mention World War Three main event. The other one I've got down because it. I've sat through it all fucking year. The WWF tag team division. Oh God. But basically the entire year, save maybe Survivor Series. Maybe it wasn't even a tag match. It was eight man. Um. Bloody hell. All right. Let's rattle through these. Uh, Roy, did you nominate Mass Transit? I did, yeah. Now, um, obviously, at the time yeah. when he went in there, we didn't know what was going to happen, of course. But um, I, I, I talked about this at length uh, in the past. I'm not going to repeat myself. But just yeah, I'm not sure it's strictly a booking decision. No, no, indeed, you know, indeed. I, uh... No, I, I understand that. But um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I know maybe, maybe making it a, a, a real ECW weapons match as opposed to an ECW weapons match. Uh, maybe a slightly facetious pick, but um, I think it's going to come back to bite them. So I just want to mention that one very quickly. Um, I just want to get out. Hogan and Piper. Uh, Hogan Piper, yes. Um, now they never really, now they never really said it was a title match, but they never really didn't say. Uh, you know, that's the thing, and it's very the, the fact they had to do a little promo at the end, uh, at the end of the match at Starcase, say, "Oh, it wasn't really a title match," and Hogan saying, oh, "I'm still, I'm still the champion. I'm still the champion." I was like, "You come on, you frauds!" Now you kind of sort of intimated it at the World War Three pay per view promo, but you never outright said it. And the crowd definitely bought it as a title change. Dusty did as well. Bless him. Um, I thought that was uh, that was really, really lame. Not that I want to see Piper with any belt in 1996 and anything other that holds his kilt up. But come on, don't be doing that in a main event on your biggest pay-per-view of the year. Don't be doing that. Uh, Dale, talk to me about Giant and Bischoff. I, um, I, you can see the reasons. We talked about this in the WW, uh, WCW show. You can see the reasons for certain people getting booked into certain places, especially when it comes to a big faction. As much as I kind of dislike the Scott Nortons and the the Marcus Bagwells, they're never going to be kind of leading up. But the Giant was 
the giant is pretty much in the same place now as he was before he joined. Where it's he's popular, he's big, he's a threat, but they've pretty much lost the last two three months with him. He can be funny. He didn't really belong in it in the first place, and now they're trying to book themselves back out of it, which is why I've put him specifically in as a booking decision. They made him go into it, they fucked up, and now they're trying to get him out. I think the same thing's going to happen with Bischoff. It's just a conflict of interest on screen, it's a conflict off screen. It's kind of come back to Hog Wild, it's just a, a vanity project. I think Bischoff has, has seen the, the dollar signs on this and thought, I want a bit of this. And it's just, you don't, you don't do that. I mean, how long did, how long did Flair have the book? He didn't book his cell and he had the title. The first match he had with Hogan, he dropped it. And he never got it back for God knows how long. But, it, you just don't, you don't do that when you've got a, when you've got a pencil. And you're as far as I'm concerned. And it's, those two specifically just, they didn't make sense. I don't like them. I don't see what they add. And I just think it's a mistake. Oh, let me rattle through a couple. Yeah, the WF tag title division. I mean, bloody hell. I mean, just the, the guns and the goblins and the guns and the goblins and the new rockers or whatever they're called and the body dot. And that SummerSlam match was dreadful. Just the whole division so uninspiring. I mean, I'm not the biggest fans of Owen and Bulldog, but they seem to be being dragged into that vortex as well. Um, shoot fights, yeah. I mean, uh, they just overplayed their hand, really. Like, yeah, we talk about all the things ECW did well. They just misread the situation. Um, you know, the, the whole thing was building up to the match with violence. And the violence match happened and it just, you know, for whatever reason they couldn't get into agree to do the job, you know, which, which is what it is. Um, but it just didn't work. It was, and you know, to, it says a lot that they built and built and built it and then the thing happened and they barely have mentioned it again. And it's like, yeah, you got that one wrong. Um, Razor and Diesel for everything you two said in the previous category. I, I kind of put that more on booking decision more than I put it on the talent involved. Um, but to, you know, I mean, they spent the better part of September as their, that being their main angle. Brett was off television. Sean wasn't doing much. That was their main angle that Jim Ross was pushing and pushing and pushing. This was the big thing. They thought we can just retool two characters and the audience won't notice. Um, I think perhaps sort of the one saving grace was that it almost appears like they worked out that they'd overplayed things before the angle even happened. They probably, you know, they probably could have just not done it, but it's pretty clear that I think they worked out with a couple of weeks to go, you know, whether ratings weren't moving, whether there were complaints, whether people just thought this is a bit weird, all of that, they just worked out the problem. Um, And Rory, we finish at World War Three. Yeah, we, we've all picked World War Three. We've all picked them for slightly different reasons, haven't we? But uh, I, I went for Luger not winning because it was right there. It was right there. I mean, Luger was getting popped like nobody's business when he was there one against four. People were actually genuinely rooting for him. And even if he hadn't been booked, I'm going to um, uh, paraphrase one of, our, one of our regular contributors and say, call an audible. Have him eliminate the giant. Just, just, just have him lay waste to the NWO. Just, just give, just give him a. T- You're not even giving him a title. You're just giving him a title shot at some point down, down the line. And Luger Hogan does make a hell of a lot more sense than Giant Hogan, no matter what they're going to do with the Giant. 
It was right there. Everybody wanted to see it, and they didn't give it to them. Criminal. And, and Dell was more criminal was four NWO guys not being beaten up by 56 yep. non-NWO guys. <laughs> same same thing as Rory. The build-up to like a no winning that comes in as a match later. If anything, it's even more unforgivable that they've got They've got 60 guys in there and the, the 55, 56 going against the NWO can't, can't even start to fight them. Um, the, the argument if this was in New York, if you've got it in a Royal Rumble situation, is at least they're going in one at a time. You maybe build up the opportunity for two or three NWO to get in at the same time. They then take them out one by one. That makes perfect sense. But when you've got 60 starting and the NWO is on the same ring, it makes sense that you take them out. Um, it, it's just the, the full layer of that, the, the idea of, right, we're putting the NW in it to start with when there was arguments maybe against that. The, the just lack of WCW wanting to take them out or being able to take them out. It's just the full match from beginning to end. I think we just need to go back and listen to your initial review and I don't think anybody can have any qualms with it. Yeah. Everything I said last month. Uh, Rory, your vote in this category. Yes, sir. I've gone for Luger not winning, but anything World War Three related gets my gets my pick here. So put that in there. Del, I'm going to go with Bischoff being booked into the NWO. I'm going to back Rory and just say the World War Three main event, just for two of the least logical things I've ever seen in wrestling. Um, just the, the story in itself, and then. To get that far and to have Luger on the cusp of something genuinely remarkable and then just to throw in the towel is, you know, pointless, really. Uh, we move on next. Uh, we'll shut this one forward very, very quickly. Promotion of the year, Rory. WCW. Simple as yeah. that. WCW, as simple as that. Yeah. WCW. I think ECW won it the last two years, but WCW picks it up this time around. Right, four to go. Promo of the year, Dell. Are we going for person on the microphone or are we going for yes. a specific interview? No, a person. Person, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair. Rory. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and, God help me, Hulk Hogan. Interesting. How have you not... Have neither of you voted for Scott Hall? Uh, um, if, if this was for promo of the year, yeah, then I would, well, I would, I would have gone for that promo. I don't think it's. I don't think his promos have been, have been as other promos have been that great. But uh, but carry on. Um, Steve Austin and Arn Anderson. Um, Dale, was it you, Ric Flair? Yes, uh, Ric Flair's not been on TV much this year. Any time he has, usually been digging the horseman at air hole. That they've went into. Um, again, talked about it in part one. We kind of the McMichael's been out there, the Benoit's been out there. Flair's just the constant pro comes in and saves them. He can still light up an arena whenever he walks in there. If you give him a microphone, it just makes it that much better. We touched in the Jeff Jarrett stuff. <coughs> it never had any legs to start with, but Flair tried his hardest. When he's not been able to wrestle, he has been able to back it up in the microphone, and I just think he's as good a talker as you're going to get in the in the country in this day and age. Rory Hulk Hogan, absolutely. And if you go back and listen to my uh, appearance on the July WCW pod, 
I was rightly full of ultimate praise for him for the Bash at the Beach turn promo, which is probably the promo of the decade so far. Uh, yet I was still worried that... Promo of the century, me- Rory. Promo of the century. We don't, the deal, se- we don't deal in decades with WCW are concerned. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> Although we have just started the 90s, so... <laughs> I love it, uh, but I was I was still a bit worried that some of his stuff was still a bit Memphisy because I thought his first NWO preceding announcement has been paid for promo wasn't that great, but he has, as they say, he's embraced the hate, and that every time he comes on the microphone, he just makes more and more people hate him. I think it's quite interesting. Uh, pretty much everybody cheers the NWO these days, but they don't cheer Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Because his work on the mic is, is so, so good. And it, it actually pains me to praise Hogan. I, I have, I could tell you for hours about how much I dislike the man himself for many other reasons. But, uh, he's done what I've asked, what has really been asked of him. Maybe what was asked of himself, but what he needs to do as a character on the mic. And he has done it. So, full marks. Uh, yeah, I may not end up voting for him, but I'm, I'm stunned that Scott Hall only got a nomination from me. I mean, forget, you know, even just the, those early promos. I think he's been dynamite on the microphone all year. Um, he'll come up in one of my categories later on. Um, and he's just been nuts. I mean, that, that, that opening stuff, that opening promos were just phenomenal. And we talk about the, the reasons for the NWO success and that run where we nominated three separate things in that, um, in those kind of non-match segments of the year. I know none of them specifically were promos, uh, other than perhaps the, the, the middle one, the one on the end was more Hogan. Um, a lot of it was more the, the turn and the putting Bischoff through the staff and the baseball bats, but those early promos were great. And Hall's charisma has come through throughout the rest of this year in a way that the other two just haven't been able to keep up with. Um, and one of the reasons, and it is a negative, one of the reasons why the NWO are getting cheered, one of the, probably the biggest reason, I think, is Scott Hall. Um, uh, where shall we go next? Dale, talk to me about Arn Anderson. Rock solid. Um, I don't think he's cut one bad interview this year. He's always been able to do it. He's not always been in a position where he needs to. Um, when you've got Ric Flair next to you, you don't really get that much time, but this year with Flair being away as much, Arn's pretty much the head of that family. Um, he's got a guy that's pretty new but an unbelievable talent in Benoit and he's just lumbered with Steve McMichael and there's a good probably a good four or five out of the last six months he's probably a promo of the month um, he can come across as believable, he comes across as passionate, he's been a bit since God knows how long so you believe every word that he says and you genuinely believe when you listen to him that he still has passion for this business, which a lot of old-timers don't really have as much. Um, and WCW can easily kind of mock the way that they hang on to these old names and they maybe misuse them. I don't think you need to, to look much further than Mr. Savage. But um, Arn Anderson just can still hit it at the park on any given Sunday. Yeah, um, but we are running a little short on time, so but yeah, I can only really just agree with everything Odell said on Anderson. I think he's, yeah, if you ever watch a consistent, reliable promo, he's the guy you'd pick right now, above Flair, above anybody else. Um, his delivery's great, his seriousness really, really works, and he's con- consistently, consistently cutting really, really good promos. Uh, Rory, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, yes, and, 
It's quite amusing because um, everybody's been talking about uh, his promo at King of the Ring. That wasn't one of my favourites particularly. I, I think that's been overplayed and overstated. But I've got four. Apart from that, I've got four words for you. He talks, I listen. Simple as that. Go. On everyone that Rory says, he does make you stand up and listen, and it is a. A testament to what Steve Austin's done this year that, as you say, people are starting to copy it now. I don't have any worries about him losing his USP because I think he just has it. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you what it is. I don't think anybody could, but whatever it is, he has it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think we'll see more of it next year, but we talk about everyone else kind of copying it. With him, it feels the most natural, which is almost the, the best thing you can say. Um, but ever since Bret Hart came back, he's been an absolute riot, and you get the feeling it's just Steve Austin being a bit pissed off. It's it's an evolution of the character we saw in ECW. Um, but compelling is the word, I think. He, he's must-watch whenever he gets the mic, and it says a lot that we're in two months of him doing that. Everyone's doing that. I don't think that's necessarily a positive for anyone, um, but I think that's certainly illustrative of, of where we're at. Um, let's take a vote. Rory. Austin, again. I think in time it Del. will be Austin, but purely for consistency and length of time they've done it this year, I'm going to go with Arn Anderson. Mm. No, I'm going with Scott Hall. Um, and yeah, I think under under old rules, under a split, my vote counts double. Um, so yeah, um, but no, I, I'd be more inclined of the other two to go with Arn, um, but under our... Uh, under our, in the event of a split, Bob's rope decides it. Um, it's going to Scott Hall. And I think rightly so. I don't need to vote. Um, but yeah, um, some of the stuff he was doing, certainly May, June was, was unparalleled this year. I think some of the stuff he's done since then as well in a slightly different role has been almost as good in, uh, in a different way. Uh, right. Match of the year. Rory, let's rattle through these. <clears throat> yep. I've got, I've got it down to four and they all spoke to me in slightly different ways. I've gone for, um, Sure, Michaels v. Diesel at uh, In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies. I've gone for uh, Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis from Bash at the Beach. I've gone for uh, Sean v. Mankind at My Games, and I've gone for Brett Austin at Survivor Series. Mankind and Brett versus Austin Dell. Similar last Mankind, Sean again. Austin, Brett again. And I'm going for a different Mysterio match. I'm going for the match against Hoovy at night one of the... What was the name of it again? Cyber Big Black. Ass Extreme or, Bash. Um, Ray versus Hooventude. Well, I've got Sean and Diesel. Uh, I have got Van Damme and Sabu versus Crawford and Furnace, the first one. Uh, where are we here? Let's see how quickly I can write. Uh, I've got Chris Benoit versus the Taskmaster from uh, Great American Bash. Mm. And I have Hooventsud versus Rey Mysterio Night 2, of course. Uh, Rey and Hoovy from Night Number 2. I guess we'll, we'll combine those. Um, let's rattle through these. Rory, Sean of Mankind. <coughs> Absolutely, Sean of Mankind. Um, this was a, a cold match on a B pay-per-view with a very little uh, build-up, very little riding on it, to be perfectly honest. But both guys... Brought, not only did they bring their A game, they brought each other's A game. 
in Kayfay terms, Sean knew that he would have to get a little bit crazy, a little bit wild himself to beat Mankind. Mankind knew that he would really have to try to step things up in the ring to try to beat Shawn Michaels. And they just meshed beautifully for 20, 25 minutes. The psychology was on point. The high spots made sense. There was some terrific in-ring work. Yes, the non-finish hurt it, but if I, no, no, rubbish. The non-finish didn't hurt it. This is 25 minutes of just fantastic wrestling between two, for different reasons perhaps, but two really world-class workers. And if somehow you missed this because it was on a pay-per-view not many people saw, just go back and watch it, please. Sean and Diesel? Yeah, Sean and Diesel are of a similar bent, actually. I think I said on the April pod at the time, Sean really needed this match to cement himself as somebody who wasn't just basically a, a pretty boy male stripper holding holding the title. And uh, this was the WWF, the, the earlier part of the year. This was some wild, wild stuff. And credit to Vince McMahon as well for letting somebody who at this time we all knew was going to the competition look like a complete and utter total badass. Dell Ray versus Hooven 2, night one. I think I've got a soft spot for these matches. It was similar to we had with Eddie and Dean last year. ECW just seems to pull these guys out for, for nowhere. They always end up going to bigger promotions. They always get a crowd that I can imagine is very difficult to please at some points, especially the reputation that ECW's got. Night one. For me, I did watch the two of them when we reviewed that show and the fact that they could put on the same match and just deliver it on both nights. I just, I, I think the two of them are brilliant workers. It was a brilliant match. That's all I need to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I nominated night two, although, you know, in some ways they were both equally as good, if not slightly different matches. The first one was in New York, the second was in Philadelphia. Um, just two guys, like, who were ahead of their time, really. Two guys that are kind of showing us the future in some ways. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think necessarily this is the future, but I think this is where we're going towards. Um, and yeah, two spectacular matches. I, I know that in number two, that was just the one that was more fresh in my mind and probably one in Philadelphia. I think the audience helped that a little bit more too. Uh, but that was really, really good. Uh, Rory on Roman Stereo, him and Psychosis. Yeah, I've got for the Ray Psychosis bash at the beach match because I think in this particular one, they had a lot more to, uh, to prove. They were opening up what turned out to be a tumultuously important pay-per-view, uh, in front of a crowd who quite simply might not have even known who they were, let alone what they were going to expect. And they gave us uh, 18, 19 minutes of both uh, Lucha style at its very best and the very, very realist sense that both these guys were going up there, not just to wow the crowd in the opening match, but to actually win the contest because it would do a lot for their careers. Uh, they hit everything they went for and they went for a lot. Uh, there were no dead spots. Nothing was wasted. Uh, it was two workers who made themselves loved by the crowd and that's more than you can ask for. So it had to get in this list for me. I'll pick off my other two, uh, well, yeah, um, Ovid and Sabu versus Crawford first is a balmy 30 minute match. It's the one from September. It does appear, I think it's the last hardcore TV in September. They just do a fuckload of shit for about 28 minutes. Um, it's not always coherent. A lot of ECW matches aren't, but it's so good to watch. You can only admire the, the work rate of all four guys and the athleticism as well. And Benoit versus Taskmaster for a company that about 18 months prior were doing sterile gimmick fake concession stands. This was a very, very real match. 
Um, they brought up into the stars. They brought into a set of toilets, which was great. They brought back down. Benoit got thrown down some stairs. But we finished with a superplex off the table, off the top turnbuckle. That was brilliant. Dell finishes off with Brett and Steve Austin. I think it just legitimised Steve Austin in a nutshell. Um, we'd already seen the build up in it where Austin really became Austin. I think at that point, and when you were going into the match, when you've got a Bret Hart there who's been off TV for as long, and you wonder what you're going to get on the back here, and it's similar to Sean and Sean and Mankind, where it's like you kind of needed those two parts. Austin wasn't carried by Brett. Brett wasn't an old timer just trying to kind of get the better over in Austin. It's just a match that worked with two integral parts, and I just think it's. It's got to be up there with the best of the year and for a federation that's been struggling to put over match quality this year, I just think they've done an epic job there. Uh, Roy, your vote. Uh, I agree with everything uh, Del said about Brett Austin. Brett had a lot to prove there as well um, after eight months off. The commentators oddly tried to bury him on commentary, but uh, he proved he still had it. What a gorgeous wrestling match it was. But it's not my winner but because of all the reasons I stated earlier. Uh, Sean Mankind is my match of the year for 1996. Del. Similar to Rory, as much as I think Austin Brett could be important in time for just watching a match and getting a hell of a lot of enjoyment out there. I love Shawn Michaels. I saw a different side of Shawn Michaels, and it's just nice to see Mankind in that kind of level of match. Mankind, Shawn Mind Games gets it for me. Uh, well, uh, that will take it. I've actually gone for Shawn Diesel from the April pay-per-view. I, I just thought for, uh, you know, an exclamation point on a on a feud that kind of had to end they just went all out and any match that includes a prosthetic leg as a weapon that's my vote <laughs> the match of the year Sean versus Mankind from Mind Games in September we move on to worker of the year Del worker overall I've went for Chris Benoit I've went for Dean Malenko and I've went for Rey Mysterio Jr Rory. Oh, so close. I've got Benoit, Malenko and uh, Michaels. Benoit, Malenko and Michaels. Yeah, this is one of those, isn't it? I've gone for Benoit, Michaels and Mysterio. Um, so here we are again. This, the, the, we, between us, we can't with four names. Um, let's start with Dean Malenko, Del. Very consistent. Not a lot of airs and graces or bells and whistles. He just goes in and he works. That's why I've put him for best worker. He never really has a bad match. He's had some bloody good matches. I just think if you're looking for a solid hand, it's never really in a main event situation, but just gets a good match in the lower to mid card to put on a good, a good spectacle for an audience. I think he's as good as there is. Rory, Milenko. Absolutely. Milenko is a worker. Bold, italic, underline. He just works on in every sense of the word, in every single match he's in, be it a five-minute throwaway on Nitro, be it an 18, 20 minutes generally opening a pay-per-view. Uh, this man of a thousand holes thing, it's, uh, you know, th- th- that ain't no T-shirt slogan. He really does know them. And every single one he ever does, be it on both offense or defense, is for a purpose. I really could watch him work in the ring all day. Does he lack charisma? Yes, that's probably why I've only put, I've only in put him in the, in the worker section. But sometimes you just want to see somebody who will go out there 
and just give you a bloody good wrestling match. And that is Dean Malenko. Yeah, I just don't know I can put someone forward that had such a bad match last month. But on the whole, I would agree. Um, on the whole, I, I couldn't necessarily screw that. Um, let's go next. Um, Dale, you nominate Mysterio, right? Yep. Um, I was between Mysterio and Sean, but purely just for working, I, I cannot remember a bad Mysterio match this year. Um, he's a young guy. He's different. You, you know what you're getting when you get into a Mysterio match, but unlike a lot of other people, you know what you're getting into the match, you never really come out of it disappointed. He can do things that pretty much no one else can do. Is there some gaps in it? I would say so, but for a what rate point of view and the things that that young guy does to put his body in the line, I just think he deserves it and merit. Yeah, I think he's just evolving the business with some crazy shit. I'm not always a big fan of his matches, but he's so innovative and his matches are oftentimes so spectacular. He's right in amongst it for this award. Um, Rory, Chris Benoit, a guy who, I'm not saying he's been in bad matches, he's often in excellent matches, but would it be fair to say this is more just on the pace of his overall work rate rather than necessarily any massive standout matches? Yeah, precisely, yeah. I wouldn't say he's been in any, even necessarily some very, very good matches this year, if I'm being honest, and I'm sure there's been one or two maybe on Nitro when they throw him out with Eddie for 10 minutes. But the reason he's in there is for his intensity. He does bring his A game in every single match. And I'm thinking of one specifically, and I'm sure four of these guys will be very pleased to be mentioned on this show. There was a four horsemen against, I think it was back in July on Nitro, against the Rock and Roll Express, the Renegade, and Joe Gomez. Now, if Benoit was in there, he would have had every right to dog it and just not care. But he brought the absolute intensity. That it was as if, this is if he was uh, fighting for the world title on Starcade. He was being the Chris Benoit crippler character with every stomp, every punch, every suplex, every everything. And he's done this in every single match. He elevates everybody he's in the ring with. Uh, he really has got the lot. Promos, yeah, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's an issue, but uh, just, just in the ring, this man is gold. And... I think on that respect, he's probably got just slightly more of an upside than Malenko. Malenko works beautifully. Benoit just, just seems to have, without even trying that little something extra, that, uh, even, he's somebody I could watch and throw away matches all day, even though in a perfect world, you'd see him in 20, 25 minute clinics on pay-per-view. But, uh, he's just great. Yeah, he's defending his, uh, he's defending his award from last year, I think. Dallon Benoit? Same as Rory. The the word I used in part one was relentless. The thing that I said in part one was fuck working with him. But as Rory says, is he's just intense. He brings out the best in other four. He puts on solid matches. Can't fault him at all. And we finish on Sean Michaels. Rory, you voted for you know here is that right? I have yes. I'm going to talk because I might talk about him uh, a little bit later on. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, he does everything he's been asked of in the ring and more, is what I'm going to say in this category. Simple as that, again. Yeah, I put together a list of the best ODF match of the year, and I think he was in about eight of them. There you go. Um, God knows where they'd be without him. I mean, you know, for all the, for all the faults of Shawn Michaels, um, he's just that damn good. Like, you know, he's having great matches with almost everybody. Um, and heaven forbid what WF in 1996 looked like without him. Um, Dale, your vote in this category? Purely on a worker, I'm going to go with Dean Malenko. 
Rory. Uh, yeah, the most literal sense of the phrase, I'm going for Malenko just, just, just ahead of Benoit. Once again, I think the second year in a row, I vote for Michaels in a futile effort. Dean Malenko, our best worker of 1996. And we finish. Final category of the year. MVP slash wrestler of the year. Basically just the most valuable act in wrestling. Overall, all-round award. View it however way you want to. Dell. Purely for an MVP point of view, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and last but certainly not least, Shawn Michaels. Right. I've got one nomination here, Shawn Michaels, and for me, nobody else is even remotely close. Oh, okay. Um, once again, I can be slightly baffled that Scott Hall doesn't get a mention. I thought that was one coming. One <laughs> of my nominations. Um, um, I've got Lex Luger in here. Um, as possibly the biggest baby face in all the wrestling at the end of 1996. Um, and I think true to the, true to the award, um, the most valuable player at the end of 1996 for all of his faults, I think could well be Hulk Hogan. Um, Dell, um, tackle Arn and Flair together. Similar to Rory, I think there's only one man really for the job, but Anderson and Flair have certainly put forward their place. Flair's been out injury-wise for a fair bit of the year, but whenever he comes back, he does save segments, he does get chance, he does get tickets sold. Anderson, similar with Flair being out, he's pretty much carried the horsemen for this year. I think the two of them have played their parts and kind of been the most valued players in their certain parts. Um, let's have a think. I will just rattle through mine, I suppose, before we get to Michael's. Um, Hall, for everything I've mentioned, you know, we, we talk about the big angle of the year. I think he's the, the biggest catalyst behind it, both in terms of being the, the front runner in it, but also being the reason the NWO is so popular right now. Uh, Lex Luger is the most popular babyface in wrestling, I believe, at the moment. Um, that's in spite of some indifferent booking. I mean, he should be, he should be the world champion right now, really. Um, but his rise this year, Strong booking on the whole, um, and a popular act has been great. And yeah, we, we talk about the most valuable player. If we take that award literally, or that moniker literally, uh, Hulk Hogan's the guy. Like Hulk Hogan who, a character that was sagging mid-year, let's be honest, but he ends the year as strong as he ever has been, uh, on top of a, yeah, a promotion and an angle that is rocking and rolling right now. Um, Rory, how does Shawn Michaels win this award if he does, but not win Worker of the Year? Because that, for me, will be the reason you give it to him, right? Uh, yes, but I think, despite his uh, issues I have with him, i.e. the fact that he's, he's a bit of a tosser, and the fact his promo work isn't always particularly mega great. He does what he has to. But, uh, again, take it literally, most valuable player. And you said it yourself, Bob, just now. Can you imagine whether WWF the most famous wrestling organization in the world right now, well, supposedly the most famous wrestling organization in the world, where would they be now if Shawn Michaels had not been around? It's it's barely a stretch to say that uh, they wouldn't even be in business. If they were, they'd be absolutely nowhere. He is valuable in every sense. Yes, he's beyond valuable in the ring. Of course he is. But, but he has carried the company. I said it on the Review of the Year show. He's carried the company on his back. The WWF, as we know it, probably wouldn't even be anywhere but, even but close to what they are. But did it not fizzle out with him on top? Not the last time for a debate, but did it not fizzle out with him uh, on top of it? Uh, numbers haven't been great. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. That um, everything, everything we have seen from him with fantastic in-ring work against oftentimes 
not the most amazing workers in the world. He's, he's, he's not always been given what various other people in um, WCW have been given. That's why I didn't necessarily award him work, although he was quite, quite rightly nominated in there. But uh, for all his flaws and all the issues that WWF have had, he has been the company between January and, let's say, November this year. So for me, this was just an absolute no-brainer. Dell or Michaels? The answer to your question that you asked, Rory, is he not nominated and worked because he's getting MVP? Absolutely. Um, Sean Michaels, to me, is more than a worker. He puts on hell of a match. He's, as you said yourself, he's probably responsible for about 70-80% of the, the matches of the year that you could pick out of that. Is he a better worker? Has he been a better worker this year than Dean Malenko? Which was the, which was the question about five minutes ago. Honestly, I would say Malenko. Because that's what Malenko does. Oh. Sean's worth more than that for me. For a bigger picture, for a business point of view, as Rory says, I don't know where the WWF would be without him. If I was drawing up a fantasy draft to anybody that's in the world, as much as I'd like a Malenko in there, Malenko wouldn't be main eventing because he's no charisma Sean has. Malenko wouldn't have been there because he doesn't draw money. Ah, you've got your arguments with Sean and that, but... I, I just think he's Mr. Wrestling at this minute, and the, the idea of wrestling world without him doesn't really make any sense to me, which is why he's my MVP. All right, I'm voting for Scott Hall. Rory? Uh, do, do, do you want my vote? Yes. Michaels? Del? Sorry there's no Scott Hall. Rory, sorry there's no Stephen Richards, but... Heartbreak kid, Sean Michaels. Well, there we go. I think you're giving him the wrong award, but there we are. I, I can't otherwise complain. Um, but I'm, yeah, a little bit salty as we finish on that one with, uh, I think, I think, <laughs> I think you're giving Sean the wrong award. Like, I mean, yeah, we would you like to add in a Scott Hall award for Scott Hall? No, I, 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 I think, I think you'd vote against it. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I've said my bit on Scott Hall clearly. Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, we, we wrap this up in otherwise good terms, but, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit salty at that. That's fine. Uh, Roy McNamara, thank you for your contributions this year. Been an absolute pleasure, Bob. Cheer up, eh, mate? Uh, I think I'll be alright. We'll be shouting and moan about something. Uh, Roy, you can be found on Twitter. Uh, yep, you can catch me on Raw's DM. That's R-O-R-S-D-M. Uh, Delmio. Thank you again, Bob. Nice to wrap up the year. Uh, it is indeed. You can be found on Twitter. Yep, Dale underscore Muir. Excellent. Just a reminder, first of all, we're on Patreon uh, for five bucks a month. If you like what we contribute to your podcasting lives, you can find out more information about how you can say thank you and get early access to some of our shows at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS links otherwise in the usual places. Six volumes for you this month. You probably listen to them all by an hour, but in order, WCW in volume one, WF in volume number two, ECW in volume three, UFC in volume four, our end of year review show, volume number five, and this has been our end of year awards. Wrestling20RS.com is where you can get all your information, all your links, all your back episodes all of that you can find me on twitter at boy bamba and i think that'll do that so i've been bob bamba this has been december 1996 this has been 1996 the wrestling 20 years ago podcast until next year goodbye